Hello, welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Star Trek Beyond. I'm Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian McClinsky, I think. Don't worry about it. Just call me Mr. Sensitive. (laughs) With our Star Trek Beyond tagline, we have Kelly Wand. Blast in the nerdiest. You can do better than that, Kelly Wand. Finally, Simon Pegg plays a bumbler tech guy with an accent. <laughs> I feel like you're just getting warmed up. There's more. This ain't your great grandma's Yorktown. Is that an aircraft carrier reference? What is it's that? a Revolutionary War reference. No, that's the name of the city. Yeah, that was totally weird for me since I'm from there. Yeah. It was so weird to hear that. You're from Yorktown? Yeah. That's interesting. It's also an about, aircraft carrier. Okay. It's more recently an aircraft carrier than a city. I think, yeah. All right, what else do you guys keep working on? I think we buried the lead here. Um, (laughs) Current number in a row of Star Trek movie plots that I've been able to follow, negative 13. (laughs) (laughs) Am I the only person who doesn't understand what's happening in Star Trek movies? I mean, I remember James Bond movies seemed really confusing when I was a kid. Well, I think that bodes bodes really well for the synopsis, frankly. Yes, I agree with Tom. (laughs) All right. I, agree with, I also short. agree with the music. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with the music. I really liked how that music ended at the end. <laughs> uh, so one of the taglines isn't something like like too fast, too track, or something like that. I did blast in the nerdiest, and that was supposed to be Fast yeah. and the Furious. Oh, that was – oh, good lord. Okay, yeah. I, guess. I knew I'd have to explain it to you, and I knew Dingus would get it, which makes me a genius for knowing that, doesn't mm-hmm. it? I think it was a little too convoluted. Blast in the nerdiest. What is I think blast? Is right. Plast or blast? I don't even know oh, what word. You made up a fake word for, for one thing. And blast, blast? because it rhymes with fast? Blast is Wait, not a made, made up made word. Yeah, blast no, what is, is the other word? word? Nerd, nerd, what is that? Say it again. Let me, let me see. Nerdiest. Oh, the nerdiest. Nerd. Blast and the nerdiest? No, good lord. Instead of fast and the furious. Mm, no. Come on. No, don't That's like it. Cool. doesn't make You're any crazy. sense. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. Something from Adult Swim, Blast on the Nerdy. Yeah, to make it a a riff on Justin Lin's Fast and Furious stuff, you got to do something like, you know, Two Star, Two Trek, or something like that. Blast in the Nerdiest? Uh, I expect better from you, Kelly Wand. I expect something a little slicker. You need to go back to smoking weed. (laughs) That is the, the, Kelly Wand, that is the Tokyo Drift of taglines. Ooh. What I just said? That's right. Blast in the Nerdiest. You go back to smoking weed. It's the Tokyo Drift of taglines. Nope. Blast in the Nerdiest. Blast in the Nerdiest of Tokyo Drift. Wait, you love Tokyo Drift. Nope. Love the so first 15 minutes of it. Until I – I'll go ahead and – I'll go ahead and – And the last five seconds. So this this could have been Yorktown Drift. I'll go ahead Yorktown. and reveal my hand right here. I will say until today, the best thing Justin Lin has ever done is the first 15 minutes of Tokyo Drift. And then there's the rest oh. of the movie you have to sit through. Wait, what's the thing better? Or uh, I don't know. Wait. <laughs> yeah, we should All right, I tell you what then, Kelly Wand, if you take issue with that, why don't you throw down with a, a quiz challenge for me and Dingus, see which one of us wins. Okay, I'm going to go sentence by sentence, and the first person to guess this movie title. <laughs> so are you just saying, quiz. okay, is this something that you're reading off the internet? Is this something you wrote? What, what, tell it's us what exactly. Uh, an IMDb synopsis writer wrote it for IMDb on the internet. All right. What's, what's the movie that it belongs to? <laughs> ah, almost got you. All right. Got Kelly Wan, you're, you, get, you brought your A game today. I thought I Captain, that was not logical. <laughs> you try that on me. Uh, yeah, but that would be boring to do on Spock, huh? Okay. For sentences. 
a spacecraft travels to a distant planet to rescue the crew of another spaceship that crashed, but their own craft, damaged in the landing, needs repair. Sounds familiar so far. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to guess whatever it is, I've seen it. So is go it, on. Is it Alien? No. Yeah. You're allowed to guess infinite times, too, for fun. Wow, infinite. Yeah. Uh, the for fun part's not actually true, but it's not fun. But you can keep going. Uh, the second sentence is, Balon commands the rescue team formed of his rival, Cabrin. Yeah, Aluma. I haven't seen it. I'm going to retract my previous statement. <laughs> no, I've never seen a movie with the character named Cabrin in it, Tom. Or, or a Thalon. Tom sadly admitted. <laughs> was it Balon or Thalon? It was Balon with a B. I guess... I. Do I mumble my first letters of words? No. Because he said I said plast, and that's what he thought this, the tagline was, plast in the nerdiest. Anyway, Balon commands the rescue team in front of his rival, Cabrin, Aluma, Darnea, Kuhad, and the rookie, Koss. Kuhad is my favorite. That's the one. I think that guy really – he steals every scene he's in. It's cute. U-U-H-O-D. No, right, of course, two U's. Everybody knows that, right? I'm assuming a fan wrote this, not a detractor of the movie. Think so far, what is your theory about whether or not you have seen this movie? (laughs) I don't know. It sounds like something from Babylon 5 to me, so I don't know. (laughs) There's a reason I picked it. Well, Tom. All right. Oh, wow. This point aimed at me. All right. Interesting. Yes. Dingus, it seems like Kelly Wan expected that I might get it. Yeah. Is it Battle uh, Beyond the that, Stars? Let me just throw out a Roger Corman piece of crap. No. All right. Because I couldn't tell you the plot of that. All right. It's clearly While something in the uh, in the uh, Vin Diesel universe of that like whole. No. 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 While looking for but not finding survivors from the former expedition, Koss is murdered. However, they cannot leave the planet due to a projected electromagnetic field. <laughs> Commander Ilvar joins the team to search for the cause of the interference, while Captain Trantor, technician Ranger, that's his name, Ranger, the technician, and Cook, Core, with a K, stay in the craft with a C. One by one, rescue team members are killed in weird situations. Then he suddenly gets vague after going through all that detail. One by one, rescue team members are killed in weird situations, materialized from their own fears. Oh, Galaxy of Terror. Right, of course. By an ancient alien pyramid. Correct. Tom wins the quiz. What is Galaxy of Terror? Galaxy of Terror is is a Roger Corman piece of crap. Uh, It's it's a movie with Sid Haig, uh, Chachi from Happy Days. Uh, Robert Englund is in it. Freddy Krueger. Oh, Chachi from the, the, uh, the GOP convention. No, that's, oh, that's Scott Bayo. Who's the girl then? Jo, jo, who's Chachi's girlfriend? Joni and Chachi? Erin Moran. Right, Erin oh, Moran yeah. is in it. Did she play Joni? Okay, <laughs> yeah, thought Joni was Chachi. Uh-huh. I don't. They're he both. Thought, I was excited. Chachi's in a science fiction movie besides Zapped for half a second. Like, <laughs> I got excited, and Tom fucking ruined the mood. So well, wait, Aaron, you Aaron Moran gets in a movie. Didn't you say Galaxy of Terror was the name of a different movie last week? No, last week we were talking about yeah, like I was I don't, last week week before. I'm, there was something where I was mentioning Planet Terror, and I oh, incorrectly right. called it Galaxy of Terror, and was later corrected. Uh, Galaxy of Terror is also known as okay. having a really weird scene. So yeah, it's the they land on this planet, yeah. and this alien pyramid, whatever, is kills them according to their own fears. And <laughs> Ch- or Joni Aaron Morin is claustrophobic. 
So she has to basically crawl through this really narrow space and it ends up closing in on her and closing in on her and it squishes her. Like everybody has a gruesome death. It's basically – it's not a slasher film because it's not a slasher. Weird situations. Yeah, yeah. And there's this one girl – there's a uh, one of the women on the crew is afraid of like bugs or worms and this giant bug. And this is so – this is so sort of indicative of what sci-fi like B-movies used to be like. But this giant worm – uh, appears this little worm grows into a giant worm and like rips her clothes off and kills her uh-huh. it's a very uncomfortable scene to watch as a kid because you have no idea what's going on because this is definitely it's not a kid's movie but I, it's one of those movies i definitely saw when i was too young <laughs> to really understand it well as if uh, you're a grown woman you like the scene uh sid sid, sid haig has a uh he like, he's got a kid He's got a crawl kind of weapon, boomerangy thing, and it ends oh, yeah. up star. Yeah, like a throwing stars, uh, throwing a magical throwing star thing, and it ends up crawling its way under his skin. And they do some special effect, which at the time I'm sure was cutting edge, where Sid Haig is holding his arm out, and you see the shape of the star working its way up under his skin and killing him. Um, oh wait, a crawl type of weapon? Well, it's yeah, something I, I know exactly what you mean because the, the, the main planet. character in this movie is named Crawl, and he has right. a Axe. hand weapon. Save it for the opposite. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, anyway, I apologize. Yeah. So okay, I was wrong. I have seen it. I just didn't remember. Uh, you knew the set. I didn't remember the names of the, the characters. Yeah, that's. I don't know. How can you? I know. Poo hog. So is there? Any I'm gonna sense, blow your mind. Is there any sense that they're messing with the 1984 idea of we know your deepest fear and that's what we're going to threaten you with, or is it just totally? Tepid and silly. You mean the George Orwell thing? Yeah. No, there's nothing like that. Whole, you know, the, the face cage with rats <laughs> is, is this is your biggest fear. We're going to threaten you with your biggest fear. I would have gone event horizon for that question, but George uh, 1984 is an interesting. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, you're giving it way too much credit, Dingus. It's a, it's a, yeah. trashy, it's a trashy horror movie. Uh, they, smart. Just, they just want to think of. Uh, gruesome freaky ways to kill people uh and they're like okay how can we have a movie where we squish chachi where a worm rips a woman's clothes off and kills her and where we have this special effect of a blade underneath sid Haig's arm i know we'll just make it what they're all afraid of how do they know that though well it's an alien pyramid it reads it's an alien it's like oh. solaris yeah. of course aliens really give a shit what we think all the time according <laughs> to movies and they find um, out through our butts right uh, and there's other i forget who else I'm sure if I were to watch it, I would be like, "Oh yeah, that's that guy." Like I would probably recognize everyone in it, because I, I we you know we saw Sid Haig recently in Bone Tomahawk, uh, and he's a Rob Zombie staple. Um, but I'm sure there would be other people in that movie who like that I would recognize. Uh, I forget how Ray Sabrisky's in it. Oh yeah, of course. Ooh. Right, sure. Yep. Edward Albert, the guy who's not from right. Green Acres. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But also. I'm, I haven't told you the best part. Okay. So excited. It's going to blow your mind. Mm-hmm. Do you know who the set dresser on that movie was? Sid Mead. Bill Paxton. No, please. I, and he was, and do you know who the art director was? This will make it make sense. Sid Mead. It was James Cameron. James Cameron was art director. That makes sense. Right. That, that's, that surprised me. Because Paxton dressed the sets. That they, like, that's where they met each other? That's, are you know. sure it's that Bill Paxton? It does, it does fit the timeline. Yeah. Right now. Because Cameron, too. So it has to be him. And it said before he took to acting. So Bill Paxton, when you watch that movie, was off he was, the, <laughs> he was putting things like on the console of the ship and stuff. Right. 
And Cameron's yelling at him, move the star over farther down the craft services table, you idiot. (laughs) Next you're going to tell me Jeff Bezos was in Star Trek Beyond. I will tell you, though, Paxton was also the set dresser for a movie called Eat My Dust. Oh, I remember that movie. Yep. Lance Henriksen was a key grip on that one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, all that fine sat, set dressing and eat my dust in Galaxy of Terror, and we didn't get to see any more of his work because he, you know, jumped careers, became an actor instead. Unfortunately, think of what I love. Saying eat my dust <laughs> concept—that's what you do to your enemies. Well, they have to uh, eat your dust. Speaking of things you love to say, Kelly Wan, we're going to get a synopsis in just a little bit. But first, Dingus, tell the listeners what movie we saw. Of which we will be getting a synopsis shortly. All right, this will be cool. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Sounds right. Interesting word usements. All right. Yeah. So this week we saw Star Trek Beyond, or Star Trek Beyond, a 2016 American science fiction action adventure franchise reboot sequel movie about how it's easier than you think. To get lost. How's it a franchise reboot? Because this is all a franchise reboot. Oh, the whole fr- okay. So you weren't it's describing fran- this movie. This is part of a reboot. No, all right, that's I a mean, hyphenate. Franchise reboot sequel is a after hyphenate. a certain point though. I think you like it stops being a reboot and starts being its own thing. I think he's I done know. a Stellaris. He made a sector out of it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Wait, no, Kelly Wand. I, I refuse that reference. That's worse than me thinking you said uh, plast or black, or whatever. You don't accept my bluff. No one's going to get <laughs> a Solaris reference. This is a movie podcast, not a video game nerd podcast. It's please. just a throwaway. Just a throwaway. <laughs> throwaway on the internet. But yeah, okay. Sorry, so, sorry Dingus. I, I didn't know if something had been reset. That I because I we'll get into this. I remember so little of. Into Darkness. I just didn't know if something was being rebooted here, so I just wanted to verify. All right. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, I like the idea of the hyphenate of franchise reboot sequel, because this isn't a sequel to any of the other Star Trek movies. This is a franchise reboot sequel. Okay. Okay. I sort of had to put – I had to wrap – that was almost as difficult as some of Kelly Wan's taglines, but it does work now that I think about it. So, okay. Good. If you think franchise is a dumb word for movies (laughs) – Keep it's a reboot and a sequel. That's how far in we are to the Star Trek Onion. The Star Trek Onion. I think yeah. that's the next movie. All right, so it was directed by Justin Lin <laughs> and written by Simon Pegg and Doug Jung, based on the television series by Gene Roddenberry, with uncredited writing credits going to Roberto Orchi, Patrick McKay, and John D. Payne. Dingus, why would you say that? Because they've claimed, because I was reading up on this, they've said they didn't even read their script. I mean, I guess it's a WGA thing, right? They didn't read their Neither own script? Neither did George Sakai. What do you mean they didn't read their script? Oh, well, Robert Orkey was taken off of the project, uh, year, whatever, a while yeah, ago. Yeah. And he, uh, well, he was supposed and to Simon, direct it. He was starting right. to direct it, yeah. Right, and Simon Pegg was then hired to read to, to do the script. And I don't know if there was like some kerfuffle between them about rights or, or about like credits or whatever, but I think Simon Pegg and Doug Jung have said 
we didn't even read his script. We just came up with our own thing. So I was just surprised that they still get uh, writing credits on it. But I guess they always well, do. They probably. don't. They're, yeah. they're uncredited writers. Oh, oh, that's weird. what I see. So why? Okay. Oh, they never do. Uh, is what why, I mean. I'm, why I'm bringing it up is because I because and I, we'll talk about this a little later is because I think the the directions that the two scripts headed in are are the most interesting or one of the most interesting things about this movie. Um, so we can talk about that later after all of this, right. but that's why that's why I bring up those three dudes um, who worked on the you know worked on the original script and then Simon Pegg and, and I guess it's it's pronounced Doug Jung you think oh you know what I was just thinking of the psychotherapist it's probably Jung it's it's I think it's Jung because he's he's the guy who plays. Well, he plays a part in the movie. We can talk about that later. Right, it's, um, and it, it is an Asian name rather than, you know, European name. So yeah. probably, yeah. Uh, it stars Sophia Butella. Mm. Oh, yeah. Wait, which one's she? Please. <laughs> oh yeah. Good Lord, are you kidding? I don't, the other female character. <laughs> they put too much makeup on these these women in these stupid movies. Just make them look human, like uh, in Star Wars. If you want them to look pretty, see what I'm saying? You don't have to make her look pretty. <laughs> I mean, even through that makeup. Anyway, I know, uh, but it's still an impediment. Carl Urban, <sighs> Zachary Kinto, thank you, Kelly. Uh, Zachary Kinto, <sighs> Anton Yelchin, John Cho, and Chris <laughs> Pine. <laughs> that guy. Rascal. Star Trek Beyond is rated PG-13 for sequences of sci-fi action and violence. Uh, Kelly, why is there anything I, else it should be rated for? If I was on the MPA, I would have said CG misbehaving, motorcyclists and unusual gravity, and futuristic music. All right, very good. We'll fit I those don't know in. why. I like this. Yeah. Uh, we're recording a little earlier than normal, so the numbers aren't actually in, but the Sorry. studio's predicting uh, a about a fifty-five million dollar opening. Which is actually significantly less than Into Darkness's $70 million opening. So by the time you're listening to this, you might know whether or not that happened, but uh, they've tempered their expectations. Uh, Metacritic, which is the average from various ratings, has 70 down for Star Trek Beyond. Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, it clocks in at 85% positive reviews. That's only 12 points shy of Mad Max Fury Road, which I just checked and is at 97% these days. <laughs> Kelly oh. Wand, you're, now you've said that you're not really clear on the plots of these Star Trek movies. Maybe we can help you if you were to tell us what you think the plots are in the form of a synopsis. You mean give you my idea of what I think happened in the movie. Exactly, and then we, we can <laughs> – any, you can any, correct me. You get it wrong, right? We can correct you, and we can say, "Well, Kelly, one, that's not exactly." No, Kelly, happened. that's a spaceship plane. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Star Trek Beopsis. Uh-huh. I forgot to have you guess. Do you right. want to guess now? Uh, I guess it's called the Star Trek Bopsis Beopsis. Correct. <laughs> I think sometimes you have me uh, guess because you don't have a name, and your your name for the synopsis will be oh, whatever Tom says. No, I start think trying to decide if yours is better. And I should go with it, <laughs> which is sometimes true. But um, I'm just staring at it. It's a little shorter than normal. It's weak, such a whirlwind. Kelly Wand, uh, start size does not matter. 
Is that a line from it? I, it's what I keep telling people, but they keep telling me size matters. So whatever. Star Trek: The Office. Chris Pine's all. Captain Zog started. <laughs> I think Captain Kirk's overrated. I hate my life. Just feels like a series of reboots, sequels, whatever Jack Ryan was. At least Hemsworth gets to say in the heart of the sea dialogue. We pull back to see standing on a ledge of CG in a giant cavern being ogled by space lizards. An alien judges all. Human pretty boy, would you be my... God damn it. <laughs> yeah, I know it's hard to do alien accents, I understand, because you don't have the anatomy. The human anatomy has a difficult time reproducing those noises. Right, it would be hard for them to even speak English, <laughs> is what Neil deGrasse Tyson implica- implicated. <laughs> he implicated it. So did uh, McNary. I'm not up to this one right now. Uh, human pretty boy, would you mind doing that later? May I remind you you're in a lizard cave court of law? Chris pines off. Sorry, what was the question? The lizard with the powdered wig points its gavel at him and goes, Why are you here? Pines off. Yeah. He holds up a tin box. The lid falls off with a deafening clank. The Federation of Planets and Shit wishes to offer you this empty box as a symbol of our opinion of you. We need it back when you're done. Bye. The lizard bailiffs all. Isn't that the box for our sacred black CG spurter of MacGuffin 7? We keep it in our museum to adorn the casket of our most respected ancestors. As on your world, our museums are funeral homes for the really old. Kirk's all. Scotty, they're on to Speed me up. So long, bitches. He flips them off, then drops his pants and goes, Scotty? The lizards all jump on him, clawing and biting him to death, but it's comical because they're only rat-sized. Eventually, Scotty beams him aboard the Enterprise laughing. Pines all. I tore my sack again. Dr. McCoy <laughs> can't take grisly flourishes a tricorder and goes, Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a uh, lizard enthusiast. Mr. Spoxall, doctor, it is highly logical that invariably starting every sentence with those same five words is likely to caricaturize you. McCoy's all, speaking of which, look what I stole from Chekhov's wall safe. He raises some soiled underwear in a squarish, half-filled bottle labeled vodka. Uhura walks up to Spock and goes, by the way, this necklace you gave me, I don't want it. She starts trying to remove it and is soon choking. Spoxall, on my planet, returning a necklace is punishable by death. He bats her away when she tries to suck on his ear and storms off. McCoy nudges Kirk and goes, Dames, back in my day we'd have stuck a fork up. Kirk's all speaking of which. He looks at Spock's pants thoughtfully. I know Vulcans have two hearts, but meanwhile Spock goes into the Enterprise bathroom, slides open a toilet tank, and puts the alien artifact box inside. I guess Spock was actually gone from the scene by then. Forget that part. He's all stupid lizards. Suddenly, two Vulcans wearing black walk up to him, bearing a coffin with two pointed ear flaps jutting from the top. One's all, we have a surprising off-screen announcement to make. The Enterprise parks for a while, while music plays. In the spaceport terminal, although no one's there to greet his unpopular mug, Captain Kirk watches wistfully as Scotty is welcomed home with a hug by his midget dinosaur lover, Skeev Skoov. <laughs> Dr. Poitz. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that his name? He's a distant cousin to Beep Boop, of course. I can't keep track of all the names, Skeev Skoov. Because he's short. Like beep boop. Doctor McCoy is embraced. Right. What? No. I'll tell you later. Doctor Doctor McCoy is embraced by topless nurse Chapel. Chekhov sucks face with a tear streaked letter W. 
and Mr. Sulu embraces and kisses his brother. Kirk and Spock sigh fondly at how unique their friends are, then walk into a supply closet. Kirk's all, hey man, I have something important to tell you that can't wait. Spock's all, I too have a matter of some urgency to convey. They nod and return to the terminal. Suddenly, a female Star Trek alien appears on a nearby monitor screen and goes, Help! We're in the nebula! Static is interfering with this transmission. Please send... Help! Kirk finds an old woman and goes, Madam Weird Voice, for some reason the Enterprise is our only ship in this. Budget reasons, probably. I request permission to go to the nearest nebula and look for static. She's all, Chris Pine, if I do... I'm not just risking a $43 ship and a $38 nebula, but you, my boy. The rest of the crew is obviously replaceable, but you, your book on the lizard planet just now boarded on the perceptible. <laughs> you're terrible, Kelly Boy, and you're a horrible, horrible person. That's my Maggie Smith. Why? <laughs> oh, poor Shori Agdashlu, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, that's how, her. How can you do that? I look forward just to hearing Just fine, please. I can't yeah, wait to hear more of it. Zelda. Oh. He pulls out his phaser and says into it, Scotty, beam me up. She's on to us. So long, bitch. The old lady's all, James, I said you can go. It's fine. Mine's all too late. He drops his pants and flips her off until Scotty CGs him aboard the Enterprise. The entire crew is looking at him, trying not to snicker. He's all, what's so funny? They're all, oh, nothing. <laughs> Pine's all, hmm. Then he looks in a mirror and sees his penis is now protruding from his forehead. He's all Scotty. Later, Captain's log. I mean, standing right in front of me. I have good news. We're about to head into the dumb starry nebulae. Again, since this movie shot Calgary, won't be able to continue. <laughs> it's too dumb. <clears throat> Again, since this movie was shot in Calgary, we won't be able to contact Starfleet or be able to show any other ships exploding. We'll be on our own, just like the last two Mission Impossibles. I can't promise your safety or that I know what I'm doing. You're welcome. I also have diarrhea. Corporal Redshirt. Yeah, sir, how's that good news? It's a pine's all. Uh, he grabs his tricorder and holds it to Spock's throat. He's all, Scotty, they're onto us. Beam me up now. Anybody moves and I cut him. He grips Spock tighter in a chokehold. The penis on his head starts to rise. Everyone's all, uh. Later, <laughs> Captain's log in the toilet. Uh, I need to call maintenance. Anyway, here we are in the dumb story nebulae. Pretty sparkly. Feeling pretty good. Bunch of jealous losers back home always saying I'm doing the impulsive dumb thing. I'm just a dumb jock, Im- idiot, imbecile, frat boy, fuckwad, buffoon, grandma. But you know, I have to be pretty smart to fly a fucking spaceship, all right, people? So suck it. Sulu's all, Captain, we're being attacked by three billion pieces of CG. Critical hull breaches reported from the engineering bay, this round thing, and both metal white stick-shaped parts of the back. <laughs> Pines all, open fire on one of them! Justin Lin whispers into his ear for a second, then ducks back off screen. Pine rolls his eyes and goes, uh, give her all she's got, floor it. Justin Lin leans in again, whispers again, ducks back. Pine's all, woo. It's <laughs> all. Captain, one of the aliens wants to say stuff. Pine's all, on screen thingies, uh, switch the dial on it. <laughs> Idris Elba wearing a latex mask. Crackles to life on screen. He's all goggle buttons. 
<laughs> Pines all. Uhura, run that through the translator. Uhura's all. I did. I think he's just got too much latex on his mouth. <laughs> Plus, I think he's British. The almond. <laughs> The woman with the fishtail head walks up to Kirk and goes, I am on board your ship right now. He just said his name is Kroll. Elba's all. (laughs) Fish lady's all. He says, but spelled with an A. Heinz all. Tell him I don't respond well to information. Open fire. Justin Lin leans in and whispers for a second. Pines all. We talking and we racing. You only live once. Let's do this. Lynn leans in and whispers again, backs out again. Um, we do what we do best. We improvise. This is our last job, Dom. <laughs> Lynn leans in, whispers. Finds all. We're family. <laughs> Thanks to Chris Pine's resourcefulness. <laughs> it's too short now. Thanks to Chris Pine's resourcefulness, training, and natural cutting, the Enterprise is destroyed 10 seconds into the battle and crashes in several giant chunks on a planet made out of cliffs. <laughs> Spock wakes up and pale by an axle. <laughs> you never know when it's going to get good. Spock wakes up impaled by an axle with propellers sticking out of his colon. McCoy wakes up nearby, looks at him, and laughs. He's all, damn it, Spock, I ain't seen something so funny since a pig's eye after a jug of sassafras. Spock's all, doctor, talking like a hillbilly all the time while exhibiting proficient operating advance. (laughs) (laughs) Doctor, talking like a hillbilly all the time while exhibiting proficiency in operating advanced medical equipment is highly illogical. Take it easy, you creepy Martian, now hold still. He picks up a rock and bashes Spock in the face. Spock's all, Doctor, there are probably more effective methods of anesthetizing me. McCoy's all, anesthetizing? Why you? He hits him again and picks up a bigger rock. Meanwhile, Scotty wakes up, stretches as he falls off a cliff, and is saved from some Irish mobsters by a butch lady alien. (laughs) Since he drools copiously. (laughs) Oh, God. I can't believe this exists. Since she drools copiously, has a lock of long white hair, and isn't potty trained, he calls her Lassie. She uses CG to kill the Irish gang. Then she's all, hey, look where I live. She walks over to the ship. It says USS Frankfurt on it. They go inside. She's all, sometimes when I get bored, I do this. She turns on a video of Basket Case screaming mindlessly, then starts dancing to the screams and ripping out clumps of wire and circuitry and smashing up stuff. She's all, I really like your Earth music. This Basket Case guy is my favorite member of your federation. Scotty sighs and stares at her lovestruck as she gets her head stuck in an air duct and begins convulsing. His pupils turn into pink hearts. Skeev Scoove leans into frame and pukes black snot in Scotty's face. (laughs) I chuckle approvingly and whisper to the OJ juror in her Star Trek uniform sitting beside me, That's so Star Trek! Meanwhile, at the rock, Spock opens his eyes. He's all, Doctor, I am still in considerable agony. McCoy's all, Ah, it's like I'm married to a friggin' calculator again. Kirk rises into view beside him and looks through binoculars at the clay maze made out of brambles and mushrooms where Idris Elba and his bee people live. Spock's all, Enslaving the Enterprise crew to do nothing after exerting so much energy and prior efforts to kill them in space till now does not seem logical. McCoy's all, Damn it, Spock, I'm a space doctor, not a script doctor.
Kirk nods at Lassie and goes, right, we need to get this 300-year-old ship you live in with no engine, somehow capable of flying in outer space within five seconds. Any ideas? Scotty, you're the technobabble specialist. Scotty's all, Captain, I'm incapable of ever obliging your impossible request based on your poor understanding of what I do for a living. Kirk's all, hmm, Justin, what would Vin Diesel do in this situation? <laughs> Justin Lynn thinks for a moment, then snaps his fingers. He whispers to Kirk. Kirk nods, whispers to the rest. McCoy's all, wait, what? Kirk whispers again. They all shake their heads, get into the ship, put on seatbelts, <laughs> and then let Justin Lynn slide the ship over the edge of a cliff. <laughs> He's just just as they're about to be dashed to bits, Kirk's all, now, Mr. Sulu, go up. Within seconds, the ship's in outer space. <laughs> Suddenly, all the CG starts attacking them again. Uhura's all, Captain, they look nothing like bees. Sulu's all, like the one that's in Jupiter ascending, Captain. Chekhov's all. Captain, if we invert the polarity vibrations biometrically by incentivizing the Viagra nodules in the reaction core, it just may cause the bees to randomly, violently explode in vibrant patterns. Kirk's all. Yeah, good. Scotty, roll down the window and use Lassie's ghetto blaster there to pump sound out into space when I give you the signal. Scotty hits play on Basket Case. The Enterprise swirls around and makes some turns while Basket Case screams, and all the CG explodes from listening. Kirk moves his head and goes, Looks like we made a good choice. In the row ahead of me, Arnie in his Mr. Freeze costume stands up next to Dingus and goes, Ice! <laughs> Dingus filled with rage. Yeah. It never happened. I don't want never, to be part of that. That didn't never happen. Ha- Arnie never was happened. nowhere near me. He's sitting three rows away. Uhura is off. Captain Idris Elba's now a black person. He's jumping around Yorktown. It's that city we were at earlier. A red shirt's all. I thought we were in a nebula. Also, what's beyond me? He explodes. Kirk's all. Okay, gang. This time we're going to end the movie in a way totally unlike the last one with the prolonged fist fight. Kirk punches Idris Elba to death. Afterwards, the old lady's all, Chris Pine, we're losing the Enterprise and nearly causing the destruction of Yorktown. I promote you to Major Admiral. (laughs) He's all, thanks, Madam Weird Voice. I'll take the money. But I also want a new ship. As she starts to answer, he walks over to Craft Services where Spock's waiting. He's all, hey, so Spock, what was that thing you wanted to tell me in the supply closet three months ago? Suddenly I care. Spock's all, I, too, believed you wished to make a declaration of some manner. Perhaps the most logical solution would be for us to share our confidences with one another simultaneously. Kirk Salt. Now, let's just do it at the same time. Ready? On three. One, two. At the same time, they both go, I knocked up Steve Scoove in the background <laughs> as a spit take. The Star Trek theme plays while some CG makes a new ship, drops Kirk and everybody inside, then punts it angrily across the screen, decapitating a few people sitting in the front row and out the emergency exit into the street to wait at a crosswalk. Kirk's voice is all, space, the phi? Spock's voice is all, (laughs) Sulu's all, oh, frontier, these are the feature length. Chekhov's all, misadventures. Uhura is all, of the rebuilt, rerouted, alternate reality Starship Enterprise. Liz Kaplan's all, period. (laughs) 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 All right. That one better than I was. Oh, 
Uh, thank you, Kelly Wand. Attack! <laughs> <clears throat> a lot of acting this morning. I mean, night. What is it? All right. Star Trek. Star Trek. You're Beyond. Uh, let's see. Dingus. What uh, what happened in Star Trek Into Darkness? Benedict Cumberbatch is Khan, and what? Kirk dies in quotes, but Tribble brings him back to life. Wait, what? Oh yeah, because instead of Spock dying like in Wrath of Khan, I don't remember that. What? How does he die? What? What happens where he dies? In- he just in the ra- they just he rip it's all they just rip off Wrath of Khan for the whole movie. Every single plot point's just taken from Wrath of Khan. But instead, oh right, right, right. He's separated from the glass. He's separate. Right. Okay. I'm- yeah. They hold hands through the glass and total rip off. Fucking Abrams. Fucking Lindelof. You say rip off, but you know what? What would you say Abrams did with Force Awakens? Rip I mean, off. Well, okay, but I, I, you know, I know that Into Darkness worked for Dingus, who loves he's a tribute Khan. band. Yeah, he's a tribute. Band. He's a one-man tribute band. Everything he's ever done, although it's lost, hasn't started out okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like, yeah, it's like Super Eight. Uh, sure, yeah, okay, all right. But that's what I hate. It like st- the first Star Trek movie was a ripoff of Star Wars. It was like the cantina scene. It was just the same, and there was a Death Star. It was like all wannabe Star Wars, but he didn't know he was getting Star Wars yet, so he was just trying to Star Warsify Star Trek. And then the second one's a ripoff of Star Trek Two, but this one, there's no Abrams, and I thought this was the best Star Trek movie. Dingus, what I are you going? Are you going to settle for him saying that? I I disagree with him on that. Yeah, interesting. Really? I do like the first Star Trek movie though. I just, but the second one I did, I hated, and this one I, I think was really funny. I liked how they how they Brady bunched it. It seemed like they were making fun of it a lot. But, but no, I, I think you're totally like, right about that. I think you're totally and I really right like that they're that they're making that they're making fun of it. That they're playing they're with fun of the it. whole TV convention. They're messing around with that. Yeah. Um, but the the dull parts are so dull that I found this movie very frustrating yeah. because the good parts are so good and the dull parts are so dull. Um, it was really, it was really difficult for me. Uh, I watched, you know, all three of them today, basically. Um, uh, and I, I really like the first two, uh, as straightforward Star Trek movies. You like this is darkness? Yeah, I liked it in darkness. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. No, I, I got really frustrated by the whole idea, the whole concept of why do you have to resurrect Khan? You, you can't come up with something new and interesting. Why in the world are you guys doing Khan? Who's that supposed to appeal to? I mean, I think that's what I said in our, or a podcast about it that I was really frustrated by the whole idea of of even bringing in Khan. I mean that really frustrated me. But I yeah. I still think it's I think I still think it works within the universe. This this one really does pay much more in a lot of different ways. Uh tribute to the television show. Um which I think is really interesting. I think it's a really interesting idea. Um while still remain it still has a certain amount of uh, gravity to it, if you'll excuse that, since there's a silly line about gravity in this. Um, but uh, I, the things I really liked about it were kind of about, uh, you know, it was it's really hard to balance this movie because there's so much of it that that dragged it down. Hmm. Uh, what when you say the slow scenes, what like what can you what what were the parts that sucked, Dingus? Uh, any anything in the prison, anything with crawl. I, I think that, you know, even, you know, that constant nagging feeling, is this Idris Elba? Is this Idris Elba? Is this Idris Elba? That whole thing, I, I just thought that the villain was horrible. Um, I thought all that, pre- anytime we weren't with Jayla, basically, or with um, 
or with Bones and Spock, uh, I sort of started to drift. I mean, I thought those scenes were the really the the solid core of this movie. And anytime we wandered over into the serious, weird, like world of the villain, which I just didn't think this villain was any good. Um, that really he's not in it that of, much, though. Like I thought there was a lot of Spock and. Jayla. Well, there's there's plenty of that stuff, but but like that in in addition to and this is something that I was thinking as we were watching it, Tom, uh, Tom and I went to see this together, uh, and I thought maybe it was just our projectionist doing something terrible. No, it's or, really dark. It's is so that, yeah, it's so yeah. dark. Markinson this is something. Said that too. He's right. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to say. Markinson said that in his email yeah. to us because um, we have listeners contribute to the their ideas to the podcast is that it's it's so dark. It's it's just visually dark. I mean, and Kelly <laughs> wants playing sound effects. Yeah, yeah. Work. I want to wait for for the German police to drive by your house. Um, <laughs> it's it's so visually dark that it's really off putting in, in a lot of the opening part of it, and I I don't understand why that is. Could you imagine but, having seen it in three D though, where it's even darker? Like oh, I, I did. Was, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I can't imagine doing that, yeah. having to wear sunglasses on top of my glasses. Uh, other than that one scene with floating dandelions, I can't imagine uh, anything that wouldn't appear too dark to be interesting. I mean, why is it so dark? I, I have a theory it. for that, actually. All right, what is it, Tom? I think well, it's too- well. First of all, you haven't even said how you, what you think about the movie. I, I'm, uh, uh, I'm tempted to say over the moon, but maybe it's just a little buzz. I, as someone who doesn't really care about this series at all, yeah, that's and who's never ever been into Star Trek. Uh, you know what? That's not entirely true, and I'll get in that in a little bit. But uh, no, I love this. I had a great time, and partly because I just was dreading seeing it. Uh, I wouldn't have – if it had been up to me, I would have totally skipped this. Uh, I just did not really? see the series. Yeah, I have no desire Justin to watch Lynn. another Star Trek We're Justin Trek Lynn movie. fans, aren't we? I'm not even a Justin Lin fan. Like, I, don't, I, haven't I think been that, I am. I haven't been that impressed with what he's been doing with the Fast and the Five franchise. Like, I, I just think he does a lot of throwaway – energetic stuff that just doesn't work for me for the most part. And it's, it's also like the fast and furious movies are just also sort of self-congratulatory and, uh, just sort of mm. folding in on themselves. And they're, I, yeah, even fast and furious stuff is losing me. I mean, I'll, I'll go to, see I think those. I, uh, I'll go to see those before I'd go to see a star Trek movie, by the way. Um, so as someone who I think this is partly due to low expectations, but God, I had a great time. And I really do feel that, that sabotage sequence is absolutely worth the price of admission, and I think is, and this isn't to damn it with faint praise, but is the best thing Justin Lin has ever done. And I say that because I really honestly believe that the first 15 minutes of Tokyo Drift are condensed brilliance. Uh, that's a fantastic sequence. You just take that one little bit, and it sums up the Fast and the Furious sort of uh, idea, the conceit, the, the feelings you get from Fast and Furious, that's a brilliant bit of filmmaking, that first 15 minutes. So what he does, and Dingus and I were both just giggling uncontrollably during that sabotage sequence, that's such an amazing payoff, and even there's this weird kind of emotional depth to it. Because while I was watching it, I couldn't help but think of – you know Leonard Nimoy, Anton Yelchin, and and Adam Yauch. Yeah, you know this I, I, is I kept this thinking is the, about Adam Yauch too. Yeah, it's the confluence of these three incredibly meaningful deaths uh, that we've experienced recently, and they're all very people from very different areas uh, that appealed to very different types of people, and just damn if 
Justin Lin didn't manage to, and I don't know if this is intentional, but he just folded in this completely outrageous, over-the-top, nonsense sequence with, I think, maybe this unintentional poignance that I felt. So I just got, you know, I, I was enjoying the movie, and at that point, I just enjoyed it on a completely different level. And uh, I really, really liked this. And I really liked what Justin Lin brought to it. And the slow parts you mentioned, Dingus, I, even, even those kind of worked for me. Um, so my theory about why the early parts are dark, and this might just be giving it too much credit, but I think it's because it, it sets apart the Yorktown stuff from – do we even know the name of that planet? Um, from that planet. Like that – you know, that yeah, – They just didn't want to show – it, it what? Well, I just think, you know, they didn't have money to make a whole planet ecology system, so they just wanted to keep it focused on the action. Maybe it could be, but just some of it, it's just so murky, and it, it really does, yeah. it really is in marked contrast to, and I imagine, I think this is the stuff they shot in Dubai, uh, to the Yorktown stuff, which is so like Guardians of the Galaxy, bright and colorful and sunny right. and blue. Uh, and, uh, you that's know, a good point. It is very Xandar. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very utopian, urbious, urban, uh, shiny. Uh, so maybe the dark was intentionally to, but you're right. It was like it felt dark and sloppy at times. Um, like it looked I, like I, a set, but it, that's what that's what it made, that's what made it feel like one of the old shows to me. Yeah, so I guess you mentioned that too that you felt like I know there was that that great little self aware bit where he's saying life feels episodic. It feels uh, episodic, yeah. Yeah. What, what were the other nods to the the TV shows that you guys saw? So Kelly, Wan, you say some of the things felt like a set. Uh, Dingus, you mentioned. Yeah, but also uh-huh. go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, like, and that, and the contrast between that and the cheat moments and the little moments. And the, I thought there were a lot of funny jokes. Like, I felt I was, it was the the jokes were being like I was laughing more than the audience. I mean, like they were kind of like, this is a serious movie. I, <laughs> I was like, wait, did you see what Carl Oliver just did? It's so hilarious. <laughs> and but also too, Tom, uh, Justin Lin, uh, you said you liked the sabotage sequence. It's like I thought that space battle when they first fight uh, the CG. And the Enterprise mm-hmm. comes apart. I thought that was one of the best space battles I've seen because it just kept going. It was really long and sustained, and a lot of it there's no dialogue. Just, he's telling the story through all the action. And, then and I thought it was pretty dire too. Like I had no idea yeah. that, that they were going to lose another Enterprise. I didn't know it that we were going to see people getting ejected into space. Uh, right. It was violent. It was dark. Uh, and, and yeah, I think just as an action set piece, very well executed. Uh, yeah. And so, I think and, and and the fact that that's the first of eh, maybe. Two and a half set pieces in the movie, like that. That's the first one. That the movie <clears throat> didn't end with that. Yeah. Save that for last. Like right. What, what, I kind of feel, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I kind of feel like we got to that pretty quickly. Yeah, we did. But the only thing I would say is, like, I think it sort of when it's like they say you have the best ship in the fleet. Like he is the Enterprise, and that's like their only one really good ship. But then they can remake one at the end really quickly. It, and it seemed to like sort of maybe undercut the stakes of that fight because it's like wow they just lost the enterprise and all like at least they have to have lost a hundred people right oh or I would more? say more than I mean they're they're yeah. the things being ripped apart people vented into right. space and yeah yeah totally um, and, so and it's, it's not shy sense. about making that clear like it's they they don't have a line about oh everybody in C deck made it to yeah, E deck they, like they let us think you know hundreds of people are dying this is terrible yeah yeah. It's like you know, right. oh, shoot, uh, I don't. I just remember an into darkness. A ship crashes into a city, right? And aren't we supposed to assume yeah. hundreds of people died in that too, right? 
Right, yeah, well, yeah. Not, not their ship, but the, the, the Dreadnought does. Right, 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 but the, the, the point is that they drop a starship on a populated city, and they kill a bunch right. of people, right? But, yeah. But yeah. there are scenes in Into Darkness where the ship gets ripped open, and you see guys go, ah, and get, right, and right. get taken off into space. Um, so, uh, but I'm with you, Kelly Wan. Is I think that was a, a great space battle. Uh, that's and, great. And, you that's know, you're, great. you're saying maybe the best, and I, I'm not sure I would necessarily disagree. I'd have to give that more thought, but uh, definitely. I can't think of a better one offhand. Well, Ender's Game would have better ones. <laughs> Get a load uh, of him, Kelly Wan. Ender's uh, Game. Yeah. <laughs> I learned a lot from Justin. I, I got a little soured on the space battles once it became another another miasma scene. Um, What's a miasma I'm, scene. I'm a little frustrated by this this tendency for the CG moments, and and this is this I mean, we've seen this in the the Batman movie or the Superman movies. We just saw it in the latest X Men movie, where where all this power just winds up in this brown mass that roils up and has all this stuff going on. Uh, and I'm getting a little tired of of let's all use like nanotechnology ideas or whatever, like little pieces, so we can just shape them into whatever. So CG can just make them into this this like big brown mass of whatever. Dingus, um, do I have a movie for you? You need to check out the Keanu Reeves, Reeves Day the Earth Stood Still. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm I'm just getting tired of that look, um, and. I mean, I, I like the way that this uh, this eventually plays out, and I especially I, I eventually like the the ships that uh, crawls people use or crawls drones use or, or whatever that turns out to be, because I think that those those ships uh, eventually and, and Kelly kind of made a joke about this, but eventually kind of um, are a reflection of the uh, the uh, the terrain of the planet that they come from. Um, so th- those ships kind of look like that spiky right. terrain that they come from and i like, like that yeah lot. like little craggy uh, protrusions and stuff yeah right. definitely so um. to, so but to answer your question about tv there's two things mainly tom um that really strike me as far as the as far as feeling like this is is, is uh making comments about the tv show or, or what i hope is what it's doing um and and number one in that list is how the music works in this it's 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 to me much different than Michael Giacchino's music from earlier of the earlier movies. This feels much more TV-like to me, uh, in a lot of different ways, and I don't mean that in a bad way necessarily. And we've got a listener named John who uh, actually wrote me personally about this, and I'm kind of I'm like, look, I can't talk about this yet, but I kind of agree with you. And he referenced this um, fight scene between Kirk and Spock in this in the television show. Um, in the series, in the original series, the, the Amok Time battle that they have, um, but but there's very in, in a lot of these scenes, I just kept thinking, boy, this really feels TV to me. And there, there were even some moments where I started to think this reminds me somewhat of the A Team theme. Um, so anyway, the music really set the scene for that, yeah. and then all of the all of the over the top, I mean, so ridiculously and beautifully over the top technical talk in this movie totally pleased me uh it it just gets so silly there's this whole sequence where they're talking about frequency and and they and they just they're saying they're throwing out all these technical technical terms um which are just totally incomprehensible to me and, and feel like total space uh, science fiction gobbledygook that culminates in this moment where Scotty is talking and he's spurting off so much of it and you can't hear him even saying it he's he's doing this whole big line of dialogue about all this technical stuff 
and they like totally drowned it out with the other sounds that are going on. And I think that some of that technical speak uh, is over the top on purpose, and I really love that about this movie. And that's such a Star Trek uh, trademark, too, is we're going to paint ourselves into a corner and just magically invent some technology that will solve whatever issue we're having. There's there's always a dilithium crystal that we can find that will take care of it. Which is kind of, you know, it's kind of like with Superman, too. Like, they always have to somehow subvert, well, why don't you just transporter beam out of there? You know, just zap everyone up. So they've always got to subvert this kind of superpower. Not teleporters, transporters. What do you call that stuff they do? Transporters. Yeah, yeah, transporters, right. Like, uh, yeah, so so anytime that there has to be some dramatic tension, they have to somehow explain why the magic bullet dilithium crystal thing won't work. Uh, yeah, and that's such a staple of right. Star Trek, isn't it? Because something's because Scotty broke something. <laughs> and I totally agree with you about that, that sabotage scene, because what I wrote in my notes right after that is, honestly, I could just watch that scene again right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it makes me think of uh, the Tim Burton Mars attack, where they think they're being really clever and really funny when Whit Stil- – no, not Whit Stillman. Slim Whitman. Uh, Slim Whitman music uh, makes the aliens – like kills the aliens. Uh, and I remember seeing that in the movie and and thinking, you know, really? That's funny? That's what you guys think you're doing that's clever? And it's just – it's that same thing, but it works. Like they plug it into the Star Trek techno babble. Um, and they even, you know, this whole idea of it's, you know, it's not a nano swarm. They're bees. They're swarming bees, and we're going to disrupt them with sound. And they even kind of set it up with the fight the power earlier. Uh, it just was plugged so elegantly in there, where it felt like such a smug, dopey gag in Mars Attacks. Uh, it's like, hey, let's have a sequence with a, like a music video fight. But justify it, like we'll set yeah, it up as a exactly. as a plot point. Like, yeah, she likes rap. Oh, okay. And I'm actually bummed that I watched the the stupid first trailer that they did that had sabotage because I would have loved. I don't think I was guessing, but I I was kind of as I was watching the movie, and especially when they played Fight the Power, I was like, oh yeah, they used sabotage in their first trailer. So oh. I would have loved to have been more blindsided oh. by that. What? Wait, you did what? I you're always accusing me of doing that. I didn't oh, care about a you Star Trek movie. Well, and actually, you can't help but. Like, if you close your eyes, you can't help but hear it, no, also. And plus, I'd heard – it was such a train wreck. Like, they really boogered up the marketing of this. In ways, this was a trouble project with taking Orky off and putting (laughs) – and not having – like, they they were – I think there was something where they were going to shoot. They they scrapped the script, like, a matter of weeks before they were supposed to shoot, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, And then they released this dopey trailer that had Sabotage playing and that that made it look like an A-team movie. Uh, and that trailer got some backlash, and I think they sort of squandered some of their marketing steam there. Uh, so I, I just had that in the back of my mind that oh yeah, they played sabotage. And then when it plays here, I'm like, well, that's you know that's why they used sabotage in the trailer. And what an annoying spoiler, those jerks! It made me hate that trailer even more. Oh, that makes me hate trailers all the more too. Because if I had known that, because I watched one of them, there's some teaser that because I was looking for one of Jayla's lines, um, and it and it shows up. In like this little short trailer, but still sabotage is running around in the background. I'm so glad I didn't know that going in. That puss, that pisses me off that they ruined that for you because it's a great setup for for the Public Enemy song. I mean, it's fun to be hearing Fight the Power. I love Public Enemy, so hearing Fight the Power in that moment and hearing that whole oh the line I was looking for was her talking about I love the beat and the shouting. I mean, I love her saying I love the beat and shouting. Yeah. Um, I love that that say that that line, uh, and then the, there's the payoff later on, and it's not some silly like we're gonna try 
to play a slow song or some Frank Sinatra or something and, and see if that works. But they that they actually use sabotage. I think and and not only that, I think it's edited so freaking well. I mean, I mean, you're right, Tom. We were sitting there just just so giddy about that. I mean, and there's that moment where everything hits. Uh, the the outer part of Yorktown when sabotage do 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 and it hits that very thing and you want to just pump your fist at that moment it's so well edited um, and the, which really offsets the there's a couple of moments in this movie that I thought were so poorly edited and so I weird. know right it was some of the editing was really confusing and sloppy I was like wait a minute what like when Spock magically gets better and I had no idea. And I think Diggis, you even made some little vocalization when we, when like John Cho is kidnapped and with Uhura, it's like, wait, how did we get here? Like it's like they cut out scenes of them being imprisoned and, uh, right. yeah, some of the stuff was so confused early on. And, and that's um, another thing that Chris Markinson says that I that I totally wrote down that whole thing about like how do Uhura and Sulu know that of the guard frequency? I mean that that scene where that right. suddenly <laughs> happens where he's like, yeah, well yeah. the guard frequency is going to be 15 minutes, so we have to get going. It felt like yeah. we'd been dropped into an episode of a, of a television show in the middle yeah, of it. Did, did the projector miss a reel? <laughs> I, I know. It was so weird, and I just – and you're, you're right. I did kind of do this thing with my hands. We're like, what? what? What's happening? To, you know, and the other thing that Chris says is, you know – uh, Scotty hanging off the cliff, and then he's just not anymore. Right, right, exactly, right. When were we going to see him rescued? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> does he? Does anybody grab his yeah. hand? Does he pull himself up? Does he <laughs> rappel down? No, nope, he's just running around at the bottom all of a sudden. Yeah, like they forgot to shoot how he gets up from that, or yeah, like yeah, cliffhanger. Then right. don't bother doing the cliffhanger. Just don't bother with he that. He got up. It's fine. Relax. That's <laughs> so silly. And I didn't even think about what you said about Spock suddenly getting better. Yeah, uh, that's like gravity. If she like when she's cut adrift, and then the next time you see her, she's just in the capsule. Yeah, we don't care about the rescue. Let's just get to the next. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we just wanted to show you her floating away for a second. Uh, let's talk about the Sulu is gay thing. That's another thing spoiled for me. Which I watching it, I was like, oh man, I wish I didn't see that coming. That would have been a well, well, I, well, yeah. I thought that would have been a nice moment. Um, I. I really like that moment, uh, but it's been talked about and it's got a lot of attention. Yeah. What did you guys think of that? I don't understand why it's. A, it, I don't like. It's just a cutaway. It has nothing to do with the story, and it has nothing to do. Like if George Takei hadn't gone, what? That's not the character that Gene Roddenberry wrote. Like it wouldn't have been. I think a thing. I don't know. I do think people something ran that was with. Kind of, I think people ran with it, though, before George Takei's reaction, if I'm not mistaken. Because I know that Simon Pegg and John Cho had both said things about it that got picked up by you know entertainment blogs or whatever, and then George Takei's reaction made it even bigger, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so I it don't know that it was... Like it, I, I mean, did they, I assume they did it because he's gay, but then they didn't clear it. With, they didn't go, hey, by the way, we're going to do this. Right, that's what Simon Pegg has said, is that it was supposed to be a tribute to George Takei's advocacy right. for uh, for uh, LGBT stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. But he's all, no, I have a daughter, so it's he said it was like not what the character was that Gene Roddenberry created. Which, by the way, I can kind of understand George Takei's point. Like, uh, I, I don't think it needs to be that big a deal that he disagrees with it, and I don't think he's necessarily... Like I think the 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 coverage of it might be playing up antagonism more than there is there. I think George Takei is just saying, don't, don't, there's no need 
there's no need to retcon Sulu. Make a new dang gay character. You know, uh, right, right. Which I don't necessarily. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that. I I love the idea that, you know, someone's been gay all along, and it's just not a big deal. You know, who cares? He's gay. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, In in this particular universe, gender I think would hardly matter. Right. Right. Uh, There's this uh, series of games called Mass Effect, Uh, and in Mass Effect, you can always be a dude or a chick, Uh, and they're they're sci-fi. In the, the the developers that make these Mass Effect games are constantly letting you get in your character, get in romantic attachments with other characters. Like that's part of the story they want to tell, that they want to let you play out. Uh, and because you can be a dude or a chick, they're faced with the idea of, well, we've scripted a romance with this female character, but what if the player is female? Or we've scripted a romance with the male character, so what if the the uh, the male player character? What if there's a male player character? What do we do? And they've just kind of decided, well, we're going to also allow for for gay relationships, uh, and it's in a universe too where there are like relationships with aliens. Like there's this, you you can be progressive in science fiction with a little bit more freedom. I I, I think. Uh, so I I liked the moment. I mean, I think it was really cool to see, you know, the, these two men with a little daughter and to see a wedding ring. You know, I was then noticing, oh yeah, Sulu's wearing a wedding ring. Um, I didn't necessarily need a shot of Sulu's husband and daughter imperiled, you know, during the action. No, that is another direct, uh, yes. a direct reference to that Sander moment where John C. Riley's mother, I mean, uh, wife and daughter. Oh yeah, yeah. Purple wife and daughter are running around, <laughs> right. and, and he's like, "You've saved my wife and daughter." Right, so. right. Uh, yeah, because I frankly, I don't think like I. I don't think Justin Lin is that good of a filmmaker, and I think there's just a lot of meth. Like he has good intentions, and he can do little compressed good bits of, of filmmaking. And he's been so successful for Universal with the Fast and Furious that it doesn't matter. This guy's going to get to just work on probably whatever he wants for, for uh, you know, from now on. Uh, so I don't think he's that good a filmmaker, but I think he accidentally does brilliant things. And maybe that's unfair to say accidental, but I think anybody, like if he were a really good filmmaker, if he really was like a James Gunn who knew what he was doing, who appreciated what he had, some of the clumsy bit in, bits in here, like the editing, uh, I think would have been avoided. Um, but there was just, you know, as somebody who doesn't care about Star Trek, there was just so much stuff here for someone like me, I think. Uh, and I can, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if people who are really into Star Trek don't like a lot of this stuff that happens to this movie. Like, don't like, and I guess this is probably true of the whole J.J. Abrams reboot, but this is not the Star Trek that was like the TV series where it's right. about an, uh, a sort of a cerebral examination of issues that might have maybe a goofy fist fight thrown in for, for tension. Uh, this is just flat-out, balls-to-the-wall, Fast and Furious action movie-making. No, I totally – I disagree with you. I think that okay. there is this cerebral – like there, there's this balance between uh, – there's this, there, there are these, twi- these twin themes of unity and loneliness and um, – and this weird thing about being lost and being unified. And Kelly Wand made a little bit of fun with it, which I think is totally justified, that whole family thing. Because uh, the family thing shows up in, in the earlier movies, too, when Carol Marcus shows up. And she and, and at the end of the movie, you're like, well, now you can be part of our family. She's like, well, it's nice to have one since my father just got murdered a, a scene ago uh, by Khan. Um, but it, there is very much a like my crew is my family. I'll do anything for my crew. I'll do anything for my family. So Justin Lin's just picking up on that. But that that thing that they're they're talking about that that 
that idea about unity. Unity is your weakness. Unity is our strength. Those two different things. And then the, the thing that's kind of surrounding that is Kirk talking early on. Uh, again, I mean, some of that is silly that, that you know, gravity in artificial gravity and 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 but i love that opening part because i think this is a difference between from what i read of the two scripts the first script was supposed to be uh an adventure of of them in their five-year mission because at the end of into darkness the last thing that you see is 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 bones saying five years in space good lord help me uh basically they're about to go on their five-year mission. And here we're just past half of that. They're like three years into it, and there's this malaise that's going on in the crew. Uh, some relationships have gone well. Some have gone bad. Uh, James T. Kirk is, is starting to question himself. Uh, Spock is starting to question where he should be in his life. Um, I mean, this is three years into a mission, and and Kirk is talking about this feeling of being lost as a man. And this idea of, you know, am I trying to fulfill my father's name or am I trying to find out who I am? Feeling lost, even though they're in space. And this idea of the directionlessness of space. I love that concept that's introduced in the script, the directionlessness of space. So I think that a lot of those things, Tom, are being played with uh, as building blocks for where the movie goes. I wouldn't consider any of those cerebral, by the way. And that's sort of what I'm talking about is that in Star Trek – like my issue with Into Darkness partly was that it, it thought it was being about drone warfare. Like it thought it was raising a serious issue, uh, and it took itself seriously with that. Like it, and I don't think this movie does that. Even that that space on we stuff and the the difference between like unity is weakness or your strength. I thought those were just throwaway bits from the script. I didn't see that they, you know, the only weakness that unity being like the only idea that unity is weakness is that the woman with the alien face hugger head decides to give him the doodad. Because she didn't want to see somebody get hurt. Like that, that was their point that unity is being weakness. No, unity is always strength. I mean, I didn't feel that there was a serious, uh, cerebral or intellectual or thoughtful examination of concepts that I think Star Trek prides itself on. Which I th- and that's why when I say this is balls to the wall, fast and furious movie making, yeah, there's some of that in the script. You're absolutely right. But I feel like it's just kind of throwaway stuff and, and that it ultimately, the movie just wants to get on to its next action sequence, and that's what Justin Lin does in the Fast and Furious movies. All that family nonsense in the Fast and Furious movies, it's silly. Like, it's, it's, it's risable, and I don't even think Justin Lin realizes that. Like, I think the movie – the Fast and Furious movies, this whole idea about family, I think it really thinks it's meaningful, and, and I find it as a viewer. And especially just, if you hear it a thousand times. Right, right. It's just so heavy-handed with it. So whereas I don't – Dingus, I get what you're I saying. I don't know what you're script. talking about, the difference between cerebral and I – mean, because I think that the whether or not it succeeds, I think the movie is trying at that, and I think it succeeds a lot as far as the, the lost thing is. Even though I don't really care for the Idris Elba character, I mean that's what he talks about him. He just got lost. I mean it's that idea of it's so easy to get lost when they're trying to discover things. I think that's a really powerful idea. Sure, and I, I, you know, there's some great movies yeah. about those ideas. I don't think this is one of them. As far as I, as, as someone who loves this movie, I, I just don't think this is a movie that, that has anything meaningful to say about getting lost. It brings it up, you know. I'm inclined to. It, it wants us to to think, okay, well, that's the villain's motivation. It makes that kind of an eleventh hour reveal, which I really liked, by the way. I liked that reveal. I liked how it was handled, but I didn't think it 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 
it, you know, it didn't really make me think about being lost in space or space ennui. You know, that early well, no. bit about space ennui, I thought it was just kind of silly. Um, well, look how it's resolved. He just resolves it in the usual way. Have an <laughs> adventure. Fight. Yeah. Yeah, right. And then it's like, all right, I'm better now. Like, and thing is, what I'm talking about, too, is I think this was partly why, as a kid, I was never really into Star Trek. Like, the Star Trek TV series, Gene Roddenberry, you know, this was like thoughtful science fiction writing. It wasn't goofy space 1999 stuff. Or, or the distinction people make, like, Star Wars is space opera. It's just his, not histrionic, but it's just, just like over the top emotional family interactions. Uh, people can die and live. Whereas Star Trek was, okay, we've got 60 minutes to tell a story, to raise a concept. We don't have much of a budget. It can't be too spectacular. But Gene Roddenberry, you know, he's a thoughtful writer. He's like, okay, what idea can I explore in 60 minutes and then reset everything so we can explore a new idea tomorrow in another 60 minutes? Um, and Star Trek, I think that's the foundation for Star Trek is, is episodic explorations of ideas right. and into darkness. It, what I remember of it is I think it wanted to be uh, – it, it thought it was partly an exploration of the idea of drone strikes, and that's the only specific thing I remember. Um, I don't think there was anything like that here. You do bring up the lost in space stuff and, and, and loneliness and being left behind, but I just didn't feel that that movie really thought it had anything serious or deep to say about those things. Whereas I do feel like In the Darkness thought it was really saying something meaningful about drone strikes. And that's the only example I can think of because that's the most recent Star Trek I've watched. Um. Well, I do think – I mean I do think that it, the, this movie is is reaching for that, and I, I, I would have to – I just have to disagree with you about how sure. much it, it, it achieved this. And, I, sure. and this is coming from somebody who doesn't like the movie as much as you do um, because of the things that I think are failing about it. But – but you know, even from the the scene at Cribs from Wrath of Khan, where they're having the the birthday toast at the beginning, and hopefully, I would like this to lead us into a into a little bit of a discussion about the actors who passed on. Um, that that scene where they where they decide to to have the the drink together, huh? and then they they do the cheers to the one glass on the table, um, and that understanding of of what what Kirk is going through at that time and what everybody's going through in the cast at that time and what they will have been going through once the movie gets done that they can't foresee yet. That, that idea that, that somebody has passed on. Um, and he's talking about specifically in the script, his father, you know, uh, you know, I'm, and, and his own life. He's not sure where he is in life. He's lost. And he's been on this mission for more than three years. Uh, I think that's what, what the script is saying. Uh, and he said, and he's saying, I, okay, now I've lived one year longer than my father would have, um, who gave up his life in this particular reality because of this silly time stuff that we've gone through. Um, but I, I love that scene for the way those characters are, are facing each other and dealing with that. Uh, and also dealing with the actors who are no longer here and the characters that they've lost in, in within that universe and where they fit in, in not only in like the world, but in the universe where like, who am I? That, that kind of thing. And, and Jim Kirk and a lot of them losing sight of who they are and Spock having to deal with the fact that he's died. You know, he himself has died now how he, and not only having lost his planet, he himself has now died. Now he has to figure out 
what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Am I going to carry on my culture or am I going to continue with my relationship or further my race? What am I going to do with my life? And so I, I mean, I, I see all of those things stacking up. I don't know that they're, they're paid off, but I see that it's cerebral and I, and I really appreciate the ideas of it. I guess my point, the movie isn't about any of those things. Like, I, I think that they're there. You're yeah. right. And maybe, I agree. All right. Oh, and maybe part of it is just I'm not as invested in the characters. Uh, but I don't, I don't think the movie is about – like it, it kind of feels like it has to get that in there, and, that, and this is fair enough. I mean it sucks that Leonard Nimoy died, absolutely. Bring that up. I, I like that. But all this stuff about you know, their little sort of character beats that are kind of formulaic where, oh, I'm going I'm, you know, to go leave and go do this diplomatic thing or whatever it is that Spock is going to do. And then there are meaningful glances they exchange during the course of the adventure, and then at the end they realize, nope, we just stick together as a family. Like that's, that's a formula, and that's an effective formula. Uh, I don't – like it doesn't feel to me like a meaningful exploration of an idea in the same way that I think Star Trek episodes tried to meaningfully explore ideas. Well, I guess uh, I, 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 don't, I don't see the weight of the Star Trek episodes. They they seem much lighter weight than what you're talking about. For me, just the just the, the fact of Jayla in those scenes and what she brings to it, and then them, and specifically Kirk, Deciding we we need to save her because that is part of what we are doing. That is part of what we are about, and she is lost as well. She's lost. I mean, I think that's a huge part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kelly, get in here. We were gonna we, you were gonna try to get in a word in here. What? Uh, I can't remember. Okay. I think I'm with Trump. <laughs> um, so what I was trying to bring up is, can we talk about Anton Yeltsin? Yeah, yeah. So we we did a green room podcast last week and and didn't talk about uh, him having died, partly because I get so wrapped up. Like I I find green room such a kind of a visceral stomach churning experience. I mean, green room is a difficult watch that I'm kind of taken out of the fact that that we're watching Anton Yeltsin and it's one of his last movies. Uh, and and here because it was a much more for me sort of carefree uh, action movie, uh, fun silly experience. Uh, I was like, oh, man, I wish they'd given Anton Yelchin's character more. Like, I wish we'd gotten more Chekhov. I just – watching it was just more keenly aware of there wasn't a lot of cool Chekhov stuff in the script. Because they didn't sucks. know. I know, right. Of course they didn't know. And well, I thought there was a lot of good – Okay. I thought he had a lot of good stuff. That okay. Uh-huh. Like, like, go ahead. Like, what, what did you like about the, what they did with Chekhov? I just I just constantly got the feeling I, I mean I'm not going to give you something specific necessarily other than the way uh, he's dealing with everything that the, that he actually gets to be paired with somebody and run around with them and I I just got to feel like the sense that oh oh good he's constantly in this and and like I felt with the Furious Seven movie I I, I didn't I couldn't remember as we were watching it today uh, he didn't. He, I know logically that he didn't die during production. I understand that, but I still couldn't help but fear that he's going to be killed sometime during this movie, um, uh, or just not be able to be here for another part of this movie. Well, so, it's like when we were watching Paul Walker in the Last Fast and Furious, yes, we weren't sure. Oh, are we going to have his? What was his name? Brian? Is there going to be some Brian death that they've yeah, worked into the right, movie? Right. Uh, and there, that that creates a tension as you're watching that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I just loved. I, I thought he. I thought he was uh, in this movie more than he was in the other movies, where he seems to just be sitting at a console right. during the other right. movies, and he seems to be running around and doing more things, adding more ideas. 
uh, and just more an, more an important character. And I think that that's because, you know, probably because Simon Webb understands that or understood that he can handle funny lines. I mean, he, he understands. I think Simon Webb knows Simon Webb. Sorry, Simon Pegg. Uh, Are you thinking Simon, of Mark Webb, the director of the Spider-Man movies? Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. No, I'm thinking of the director <laughs> of uh, Con Air. Who's that? Oh, Simon West. Simon yeah. West. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, Simon Pegg knows how to put funny lines in certain parts. That and and think it's absolutely like this. The script had such a light touch, and it did feel very much like okay. I can see this is the guy who did Shaun of the Dead, and he was just right. really having fun with with comic beats. Yeah, absolutely, right. and. And part of that, and I, I, I'm with you there, Dingus, in that I appreciate how much more, like, even if I feel, okay, they didn't give him a cool subplot, or, you know, we didn't get any cool reveals about him, uh, I, I, this movie was much more generous with those characters, partly because of the format. You know, the format is, we're going to go to this mission, there's going to be a spectacular disaster, and then everybody is split up. And we're split up in little groups, and it's about how the groups get back together. So you've got to pay attention to each group. And I like the bits, yeah, where where it's just Kirk and Chekhov. Uh, I love their. They even got a, an awesome costume change. Like, I like that they got to wear these cool survival suits that they got in their drop pods. I guess. Uh, so, and that that was part of why I liked it too, because I think the formula for this movie, you know, quick introduction, spectacular disaster. Oh no! Everybody's in peril and split up. How are they going to get together? Then finale. But furthermore, and this is where I, I liked the reveal about Idris Elba a lot, partly because I didn't know I was looking at Idris Elba. Oh my God! Like that when 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 she's moving the little old seventies video, and there's a picture of Idris Elba. I really the whole time I'm going, okay, what famous actor did they put under that horrible makeup? I I look forward to I finding that during voice. the Man, I couldn't tell. I mean, I guess if I paid more attention, and I even realized, like with Sabotage, I think I'd heard that he was in this. Um, but wow. when when we get that reveal after what I thought was going to be the finale, the big fight around Yorktown, we get a cool reveal and then a second finale. Um, so just the whole structure of this as a script, uh, I, I really liked a lot. Um, and yeah, I so Dingus, you knew that was Idris Elba under the makeup. I didn't know until that moment. I just okay. I just kept having the nagging feeling. Uh, who is? I know it's got to be somebody famous. Who is it? Right. Idris Elba or somebody else? I guess I'll find out when the credits roll. I didn't yeah. know there was going to be a moment where he was unmasked. And that whole video sequence where Uhura is like playing the video back and forth—that weird yeah. uh, found footage—reminded right. me of the stuff that Sam Neill finds in Dead Calm on the on <laughs> on the it boat. It also reminded me a bit of stuff that Sam Neill finds in another movie, except not as dire. Kelly, you know what I'm talking about? Event Horizon? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or he finds footage from another uh, ill-fated spaceship. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Dead calm. Uh, I said like that. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so you guys, I I didn't know until I looked it up, but uh, Jay Lee, the actress Sophia Boutel... Uh, did, did you look up where we know her from, Dingus? Because I had no idea until I looked it up. I did, but no, I can't for the life of me remember. Oh, she was the blade-legged assassin in Kings, Kingsman? Kingsfarth. Kingsman. Oh, King, yeah, uh, Kingsman, all right. Yeah. Oh. So she, and she had no makeup. That's why she's leggy in this. Uh, in yeah. this, she didn't have any makeup? No, in, in Kingsman, no, it's just her, her normal face, and uh, they CG out her legs, and they give her those Oscar Pitoris, like blade feet, and she kills people with them, uh, which is kind of what he did, too. But, but her, no. Okay. Uh, so uh, 
As, watching her and watching them introduce this cool character, I also realized, well, yeah, this is an artifact of the, the 60s because we don't really have that many female characters. Uh, I, I, was, I was grateful that they got her in there. Uh, and I like the cast. Like, I like the cast of this, uh, but I was just keenly aware as we were, as I was appreciating how cool she was. I was thinking, oh, well, yeah, of course, because there aren't that many women in, in the, the Star Trek party. We've got Uhura. I was and so worried like, they were going to kill Uhura when she got trapped and when she sacrificed herself. I was so oh, worried. Oh, yikes. Oh, jeez. That, like, yeah. Zoe, Zoe Saldana is like, I'm done with this. You guys can kill me off. Because I'm like, please don't kill. Because I, I think she does such great work in this. I think she's yeah. so great. And that whole, like, universal translator thing. I mean, are you trying to nudge Zoe Saldana out of a job? She's a translator. Stop it. Oh, that's right. The communications officer. You're right, Dingus. Wow. <laughs> They're going to have to move her over. But to they sp- always had the translator. They had that in the old show. I don't remember that because one of the things that happens in uh, Star Trek Into Darkness is that she's like, I know how to speak Klingon, so let me go speak to the Klingons. This right. Is what I, know I do how to remember do. that moment. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought that whole universal translator thing was, are you trying to nudge Uhura out of a job? Honestly, you guys. Mm. Uh, I wish we'd gotten better motorcycle stunts. Those felt kind of weak to yeah. me. <laughs> it's like, yeah. if you're going to have Chris Pine riding a freaking motorcycle for 20 minutes with <laughs> like a holographic motorcycle duplicate, you know, go watch Fury Road at least and crib a few of those tricks. Because seriously, yeah. Just <laughs> yeah, that was a little yeah. painful. Even the first moment where he's like tearing off on the motorcycle with her on the back, driving yeah. over that ridge, it looked like the CG of of Legolas Gimli. And- <laughs> And Aragorn running like over the hill. It just didn't look quite real enough. It was weird. Uh, and then all that stuff going round and round and round. You're right, Tom. I did at least appreciate that we had some payoff with that kind of gel smoke foam thing. Again, pretty silly, but I'm like, okay, I guess that's some payoff for him driving the motorcycle and it spits out the foam smoke stuff. Uh, and that was the thing is that, you know, even when things were dopey, they would try to work something silly like that in there, and it sort of restored my goodwill. Uh, Carl Urban's this is this is again. Thank you, Simon <laughs> Pegg. Carl Urban, you know, it totally earned the damn it, Jim. I'm a doctor, not a blah blah blah. Like, yeah. as I'm watching Carl Urban and he's being his funny, crotchety self, I'm like, oh, you know what? They're gonna. It's like knowing a Stan Lee cameo is coming up. Mm-hmm. Like, right. oh, they're gonna do a damn it, Jim. I'm a, and he got me with it, and it worked, and it was a beautiful moment, and I just felt so happy about the movie making that. Effect. You're talking about the, the transporter payoff. Yeah, like the interrupting. It, it was an F bomb too. They did a PG-13. Is that what? Because I didn't think he was going to say fighter pilot. I thought he was going to say fighter pilot too. Kelly might be right, Dingus, because it because they could just be I'm not a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think McCoy. Uh, no, Bones. Wait, yeah, Bones is McCoy. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he has ever said the F bomb. But Kelly Wand, I that's what funny is like he's finally breaking. Like, I, oh. like, I like your theory, Kelly Wand. Because mm-hmm. like he didn't want to go on that mission. He's like, what? You yeah. want to bring a doctor on the mission? Yeah. Oh Jesus, <laughs> hate you. That's stupid. Fuck What's weird guys. is that he's flying around in that ship, and uh, all I can think about how is how much more I like the way he's flying, who hates to fly. I mean, he hates flying, uh, as opposed like to Obi Wan, who's like, oh. that's right. The thing is, they're both great pilots, but they just don't, don't enjoy it. Right, right, right. They uh, hate everything. Visually, I, this is one of those rare movies where. I was so glad I went and saw this in a theater because yeah. some of those action sequences like that, that space battle in the first with the swarm, the stuff in the Yorktown, uh, I was like, man, I'm, I'm so glad I'm seeing this in a the theater that I didn't wait to rent it. Uh, this is this is why, you know, 
yeah, I'll pay $15 to go out and see a movie. I mean, it's just one of those few movies that it was like, yeah, thank you for making me glad that I Summer actually came out to see it. Yeah, for, for sort of making the theater experience worthwhile again. Uh, there were yeah. a few shots like, oh my God, it was so that they, they tease you with it once and then they give it some payoff. The shot of the Enterprise going underneath that city fountain, like through that glass. Like when it first docks, you see it underneath. That was beautiful, and then they pay it off in an action sequence. I loved that. Uh, there's one quick throwaway shot where it's as if when you know there's NASA footage of a of a launch, and you see the camera attached to the rocket as it takes off. There's a shot from the front front of the Enterprise when it launches at the beginning of the movie with a fixed camera on front of it. Uh, there were just the way that he showed the disc flipping, like that whole stunt sequence, even though that was super dark. Uh, there were just some nice, really cinematic, beautiful touches here, which I was very glad for. Mm-hmm. I mean, space is supposed to be dark, so. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but it also has, you know, there's a, there's suns in space. Space can be bright too. They even at one point they said, and here, this is, they said they were making fun of the Yorktown for being ugly. And I was like, wait, what the heck are you guys talking about? This is this beautiful city with these multidirectional gravity platforms overlapping each other and fountains and skyscrapers. And why did they think it was ugly? I'm like, it's like calling them only, all- only Bones said that. Bones said that it looks like a snow globe that's about to be smashed. Yeah. Okay, so he's just being crotchety. I yeah. wondered if it was. Wait, they sort- do- yeah. I wonder if it's the sort of thing like when, when they want us to think the Millennium Falcon is a piece of junk. Like, oh, I, never, right. like I never really. I was like, no, the Millennium Falcon is beautiful. I know Every, you want me to think that everybody in this universe thinks it's ugly, but I'm not falling for it. Uh, they all think it's ugly in Star Wars, but there's no there's no other shit. Out of all the other ships, they are kind of shitty, and they're like, yeah, great, a fucking headhunter. Right, right, compared to that, yeah, Slave One, that's ugly. There's an, a Boba Fett ship, yeah, that's man. ugly for you. It looks like an iron. Yeah, Luke wishes... Man, what you should play in Slave One, like that vacuum cleaner. <laughs> that's, that's really that's really funny to me because I, I all of a sudden you guys reminded me of this review I read. I think of uh, of Star Trek Three: The Search of Spock, Search for Spock, mm-hmm. uh, whichever one. I think it's that one where the crew of the Enterprise takes over a Klingon bird of prey, and I. I'm almost certain that it was so those Roger, are beautiful, right? That it was a Roger Ebert review where he's like, all of a sudden, when when this crew takes it over, it suddenly seems like this this particular ship flies gracefully, like most other ships should fly, as opposed to <laughs> like crew of five differently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Klingon birds of prey review. So I, I say I'm not into Star Trek, but as a kid, I went through a starship phase, a spaceship phase, a science fiction phase, and I love spaceships. And I remember. Uh, building a model of that Klingon bird of prey. It's got like the ball on the front and these sort of downward angle wings in the back uh, and the thin neck. That's a beautiful ship, I think. Uh, I also remember trying to build a freaking Enterprise. And the problem with building a model of the Enterprise, and I was so glad to hear this word said out loud in this movie, the nacelles on that Mm V-shaped thing, like you, those are heavy. You know, you yeah. build those, and then you use that glue to stick it in the side of the fuselage part, whatever. And I remember like trying to like set up books and let it dry overnight. You know, sort of propping it up at an angle, and then it would still feel loose and the weight of the nacelle. Like like making a Starship Enterprise model, it's like as aggravating as it must be trying to come up with a, a, a BB-8 toy. Like it's just yeah. so unfeasible. Uh, but I was so glad to hear the word nacelles said out loud in this movie. Uh, and as they took apart the Enterprise, 
I felt very much like, yeah, see, it's hard to keep those things attached, right? <laughs> it's your fault for building it that way. There's this great they don't sequence. stay attached to the movie. Yeah. There's this great sequence in Into Darkness where I, I think Kirk is having um, uh, a scene with um, RoboCop, uh, Peter Weller, uh, and yeah. they go down this long table where basically you see models of every spacecraft. You know, going back to Voyager, and they just go model, 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 and then they wind up with the dreadnought. Uh, but no, you know, the camera doesn't linger on it or anything. It just shows all of these models of spacecraft. And I was kind of thinking of the same thing you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Remember just... in Into Darkness, uh, really quick, where it the Enterprise was parked into the ocean. And then it flies up out of it. That's where Dingus goes, nice! That's that was where he yeah. stood up in the theater and pumped his fist, and everybody looked at him like, who's this dude? And yeah. Scotty was so worried about, oh, the salt water is going to hurt the nacelle. I don't know what's going to happen with the salt water. It doesn't knock the nacelles off. Uh, right. Yeah, you would think the drag underwater would be even more significant, and it would make that. For yeah. spacecraft. It, it does not seem... the barnacles. Yeah. It does. Oh, you know what? Speaking of barnacles, that little Scotty's weird little. I keep thinking he's like a he's cross scared. between an Ewok and a barnacle. That oh my gosh! Guy. When when they get it together and they almost hug, Tom Tom, <laughs> I could feel him recoil next to me. He's like I feel oh, getting stimulated. Oh my god! Are they gonna hug? Oh my god! No, that thing is just so weird and creepy. And who who whoever designed Tom, that? Okay. You know that is my that. Little thing is my Jar Jar. The way that some people in Star Wars hate Jar Jar, I couldn't care less about Jar Jar. Whatever, it's, they're stupid movies. I don't care. That little guy. It's like people who love the prequels, but have to concede that Jar Jar sucks. That weird little thing, and I, they even said its name, and I forgot. But whatever that Skeev Scoov is perfect. I don't understand why that thing is in there because it's creepy. It's not huggable. It's like that's why I like him. But isn't it uh, funny that he's, he's not cute at all? Him, like Jar Jar, get down, get down from there, get down from there. Isn't that funny? Get off that. Uh, get off that. Get uh, down from there. What about when he throws up on things? He's like spewy. Oh, God, that made it even more so, disgusting. Yeah, I mean, I even prefer those weird little dog co-pilot things that Lando Calrissian uses. Oh, Neeb Noob. Yeah, yeah, like that's even cuter than a skeev scoob. Haha, <laughs> yeah. you know what it's called. Let's do some over unders just so that I can make clear how much I actually did like this movie. Although I'm not, I bracketed the bottom one pretty closely. My my over for this is Guardians of the Galaxy because for the same reasons, some of the same reasons I liked Guardians of the Galaxy, I liked this. Just how, how generous it is with the cast, uh, how likable the cast is. Uh, how well-paced it is, how effective the formula is, good visuals. You know, this is no Guardians of the Galaxy to be sure, but it, it feels like a – like if Guardians of the Galaxy is a hit single, this is what would be on the other side of the 45. Uh, so for some of the same reasons I like that, I like this. So that's over, and it's fairly considerably over, Guardians of the Galaxy. But neck and neck with this, but slightly above, this is just like me because there's a wait, Michael wait, wait, Bay – Yep. You're saying what? Guardians of the Galaxy is below this? No, no, no it's my over. No, yeah, it's yeah, over. Definitely my over, oh, and there's a fair bit of clarity. You said slightly above, but slightly above. Okay. No, no, no okay. you said considerably above. Consider, yeah, there's a lot of – I might have misspoke. There's a lot of clearance, but for the same reasons I like Guardians of the Galaxy, I also like this. No, but the, you said the next one was slightly above. I oh, no, no, the, the next, next – this is slightly above. Like it, it's just slightly oh, my okay. un, slightly under. I'm bracketing my under very closely because my under was another movie I didn't want to go see. But I ended up really liking, and it was it was Michael Bay's Transformers: Age of Extinction, and there's a Ugh. little bit of Michael Bay in this movie. Uh, 
But I I really liked Transformers: Age of Extinction. It, it as a guy who didn't like the Transformers movies, it had a lot of stuff for me. I don't even care one whit about a Transformer. I wouldn't know Optimus Prime from uh, Optimus Beta or whatever. Uh, but I loved the Transformers: Age of Extinction movie. So as a guy who's not into Star Trek, I loved this movie. So that is my over. Uh, Let's love some robots. My under, I mean, my under. Yeah, very good. It, it had Mark Wahlberg. It had awesome Stanley Tucci. It had China. It had a vacuum cleaner spaceship destroying Earth. It had freaking dinosaurs. It had John Goodman smoking a robot cigar. You know, Age of Extinction. I think is a is a great great movie. Euphemisms. Tom, what was a favorite, cigar first? What's though? your favorite Stanley Tucci line? Oh my God! There's just so much drama. He should have gotten an Academy Award nomination for that line, frankly, just for that line. Uh, he appeared in too many episodes in order to do that. Oh, that's rude, Dingus. So rude to Peter McNichol. How dare yeah. you? I love the guy. What can I say? Dingus, what are your overs and unders? Uh, you are our Star Trek uh, – actually, you and Kelly Wand are both our Star Trek uh, authorities. But I am? Yeah, you know a lot of Star Trek. You just happen to know a lot about right. science fiction. I, I only know the movies. I do not know the television shows. All right. I did get the green hand reference. Like I know there's a TV – an episode where – and here's me trying to say, yeah, Star Trek's all cerebral. But I know there's an episode <laughs> of Star Trek where a giant green hand grabs the ship. Oh, I loved the giant green hand. That was very funny. Yeah. Um, that was a, one of the many great lines. There's a lot of really good lines in this. Yeah. I will, so here's the thing. I will see this movie again. Maybe not necessarily in the theater, but I, I've never said that about a Star Trek movie. Uh, I will – or let me – yeah, I will definitely see this movie again. I, that's – that's how much I mm. like it. Right, Anytime I want to distract you, Tom, I'm just going to ask you, what's your favorite color? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Great line. Which, Great which actually reminded me of Elf. Hi, buddy the Elf. What's your favorite color? <laughs> Good Lord. Wow. <laughs> Dingus, you and your weird eidetic memory for obscure lines. Yeah. It's his Star Trek, Elf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's overs and unders. What's a movie that's not quite as good as Star Trek Beyond, and what's a movie that's just ever so slightly better? All right, these are uh, these are uh, two reboot movies. Uh, that's that's where I ah. went with this. Um, so I'm going to put Rise of the Planet of the Apes just slightly over this. Um, <laughs> I get them confused. Is that the one? Is that's that the, James that's Franco? the first one? That's yes. A, yeah, this James Franco and Caesar. I'm giving you a, a, an applause, Dingus. Thank you. I really like the uh, way that that movie works. I, I like the way it reimagines that whole world and creates that whole world. Um, it's not the Mark Wahlberg one, even though we've been invoking him of late. Uh, it's that it's Rise of the Planet of the Apes. So under Mark. I would put Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is the ah. Uh, which is the other one which bothers me and why why I think of it, and I'm not just being lazy here and choosing either one of these. The reason this one goes under this is is uh, I, I'm getting a little tired of this nanotechnology thing, and I think that some of what they're doing with the ships in this is very much that we're just going to separate a bunch of things and make again this 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 like brown mess. Um, and they were doing a lot of that weird sort of stacking of nanos in, um, in Dawn of Planet of the Apes. God, I don't even remember that. What were the nano things in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? It's, it's Jason, um, Jason Clark, right? Yeah, Jason Clark, like, getting to reconstruct himself and whatnot. No, Dingus, you're thinking of Terminator. Oh, darn it. <laughs> I love that. Um... I love that. <laughs> Take a second, give me the applause again. That's beautiful. That is a beautiful thing. That's, to 
<laughs> well, the titles are similar. Thing is, I like that as much as I like Star Trek Beyond. Oh uh, well, I totally up that. He up. sounded so thoughtful when he was describing. <laughs> well, I was just thinking of Jason, and and the and that made me. The apes are all so watching I, him. I, I admit that I totally screwed that up. But no, but thing is, to be fair, it fits your 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 uh, criteria in that it's a Terminator reboot. Right. So it's a reboot of an early. Yeah. So thing is, it unfortunately not. Fortunately for you, you accidentally made a, a just as good of a pick. All right, thank you yeah, for you got correcting me. Part, I appreciate right. that, Tom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. If there's some like way we can continue, to... was him yeah. getting his his body reconstituted? It doesn't make uh, any sense for the. That's obviously got to involve an ape conquest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Those two awesome. ideas could never come. Oh God, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> that is beautiful. Yeah, All right, Kelly, why you got a tough act to follow? What are your overs and unders? <laughs> I don't even want to say anything, man. I want to just think about it. What thing is to talk about? And I'm trying to pick. I'm just watching that movie in my head. I'm now I'm wanting to splice scenes from Terminator Genesis into the. Planet of the Apes movie now. <laughs> I need to do a mix-up. Apes versus Terminators. Make a mix. It's like a, yeah. It's like a dueling apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> like two different apocalypses. All right. No, we're gonna kill them, humans. Uh, no, we blew up the bridge. please. Oh my god. <laughs> now it's pretty cool. I kind of wish I'd said what you said. Oh, I uh, wish I had. Can't stop thinking about it. Because you said it really languidly. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's sort of like he'd given it some thought. Like he'd been, he'd been yeah. pondering it for a while. It's, it's almost thought, like yeah. I'd given it some thought, yeah. <laughs> like, well, no, like you like seriously so. formulated like some ideas. This is a thesis you were working on. Uh, just neglecting yeah. the fact that, no, Jason Clark wasn't a nano guy in uh, the planet. Like your notes for an Apes movie. <laughs> Don't forget to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you feel good. I feel better about my... T- Star Trek understanding now. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm an average American. <laughs> um, my over is Flash Gordon. What? I, yeah. Mike Hodges, yeah. Because it's uh, there's a music video action sequence in it. And now, I, went, I, 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 this, I think that movie's unwatchable, Kelly. Are you serious? Like, have you seen it recently? Or I guess I guess the just kitch appeal of it works on you. I like the princess. And I her love role. the princess, but every scene without her is just ugh. What movie? Is no, it? it's funny. So Flash just, Gordon. With- yeah, before he did uh, Croupier, Mike Hodges did that Flash Gordon with uh, what's that blonde Sam? The guy's from Arkansas too. I should know his name. He's Sam Jones. Sam Jones. Yeah. Oh right, from uh, from Ted. I forgot about that even. Uh, and my fur with Deborah Foreman. The Max von <laughs> movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right. That is. Yeah, I do like that Ming. Thing, yeah. yeah. So that's Kelly's cool. over for Star Trek Beyond, Dingus. Hmm. Wow. Do you remember who did the music for that, Kelly? Yeah, Queen. That's right. Same thing. Yeah. Who did the music for uh, Donald Trump's speeches and appearance? That's the guy who directed Get <laughs> Carter. The, 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 re, uh, the, wait, the original Get Carter, not the yeah, one. Yeah, Fred Eklund. Right. The one where she dies in a trunk. Yeah. Uh, my under is... in the trunk, is she? Is it Brit Eklund? That is, okay, never mind. You know what? I, I don't want to challenge you on that. But yeah, that's a great moment. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't care. He's tough tough as nails. That even makes it worse. The fact that it's Brit Eklund in the trunk. Like if it had just yeah. been some other actress, but that it's Brit Eklund in the trunk, that's, Michael Caine is hardcore. He's yeah. hardcore. I can't but, believe oh. those, uh, those four horsemen uh, beat him. It just makes no sense to me. Seems like he would have... Taking him on, yeah. The Michael Caine I know from Get Carter never would have. Uh, th- those guys never would have beaten him. 
Yeah, and he had a Harrelson, but not the right Harrelson. He had the wrong Harrelson twin in that movie. What? What's the Harrelson twin? Oh, oh, oh no, wait, wait, wait. You're talking about, right. Excuse me. I'm talking about <laughs> I thought you were talking about Get Carter. Right. <laughs> All right. But Harrelson, about- obviously, <laughs> talking about Get Carter. Yeah. You're thinking of Harry Brown here. Yeah. I'm trying to make it. I'm trying to start a chain reaction from Dingus's thing. I can see what I can do. No, mine's a dead fuse. There's no way to start a chain reaction from that. Uh, no, it's a time machine, like all the ones in Salvation. No, what's it? Fuck. See, Genesis. it's easy to do. Hello, because it? it's the name of the the Genesis the computer thing that they're going to release. Nice. Oh, I'll never live this down. Damn it. No, it's cool. It's actually not something you need to live down. It's something you should be bragging. You guys remember um, when Amelia Clark was in Rise of the Planet of the Apes? She was so good in that movie. Yeah. They were like Dothraki to her. Yeah. That was, so. There was a moment where I thought that um, Jayla was Amelia Clark. Okay, oh, that's the thing is I'm wondering who that is under there as well. Yeah. Uh, and I'm wondering, okay, during the credits, who will it be? Uh, I'm also – and this is – here. this is what uh, – this is almost like me noticing the news crawl in a movie when I'm bored. And it's not because I was bored. It's just, you know, they put all that makeup on her, and I kind of feel like, yeah, do they, they really need to do that. Why did they like I, – I don't know. I mean, she, Sophia Boutel is a beautiful woman, and she's just so athletic, and I liked how they did her physicality, and I didn't really need those silly stripes on her face. So I found myself sitting there. There's a scene with her and Simon Pegg uh, talking to each other, and I found myself sitting there just thinking, you know what? When they shot this scene, Simon Pegg's call time was probably like 10 a.m. <laughs> Sophia Boutel's call time, I didn't know it was her at the time, 4 a.m., I bet. Yeah. You know, six hours in the freaking makeup chair. And, you know, Simon Pegg just rolls out of bed, shows up for his call time, and she's mm-hmm. already been there six hours getting that makeup put on her face. And that poor girl, they're going to run her out of this franchise the same way that they ran Alan Cummings out of X-Men. That's what I was thinking. It's a white man's world. And Alice Krieger out of the Borg movie. Uh, did she not like her makeup? I don't know. What I'm wondering about in this universe is, are those streaks on her face just birthmarks? I mean, what is that? Dingus, uh, I did some research into this, and what they are is they're the nanosphere <laughs> from Jason Clark's body has oh, worked its way across the time and space continuum. And from the planet of the Ace. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wonder, like... That. What is the rationale when they just come up yeah. with crazy things for their alien designs? Yeah. <laughs> and my dad used to talk about that when, because he got frustrated with one of the iterations. Of, I think it was like Deep Space Nine, um, where it was like, okay, we're stuck on a spaceship. And, and he's like, and then there's an alien who's a spoonhead. It just looks like <laughs> they put like a spoon in the forehead, like on silicon. And that's, that's the race. They have a spoon head. Your dad could get a job doing production design for Star Trek movies. Right. <laughs> hey, All right, uh, Kelly Wand. Yeah, so you're over is Flash. Wait, I have a yeah, quick, yeah. Can I have a, ask a quick question about Empire Strikes Back that I was thinking about? <laughs> That's its time in this podcast for us to now answer questions about Empire Strikes Back. Does anybody have one? Do we have a theme song yeah. for this? <laughs> when Luke goes to Dagobah... Isn't it like right after the Hoth battle? Like, isn't he still on the clock? Like, he didn't tell anyone he was going to go do that. And isn't he? Is he allowed to do that? He just goes. Like, he doesn't know who's dead or alive. Kelly, one the Hoth battle was a route. It's like Dunkirk. 
You know, nobody's that's gonna what be, I'm like, saying. checking in with play. Look. Right, they need him even more. They have no ships or pilots, and he's all, oh, I guess I'm going to go to this other place really quick. Well, he was, I'll didn't he, that. no, he, he saved no, he Kel's. Took- Oh, he does. So, Dingus, you get in here. Dingus would know the answer better. Go ahead, Dingus. He tell that... What? I'm going to Dagobah. If this if this battle, if we lose, I'm going to Dagobah. So you guys, uh, he doesn't right, say that. Maybe he doesn't. No, because he helps in the battle. Like he's there. He takes out an Adat. He uh, flies a snowspeeder around. No, after that. After that. Well, right. Then the battle's the over. Battle. Right. They're all evacuating. Everybody's what he wants. Yeah. Everybody's leaving at that point. It's 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 like I said. It's like Dunkirk. It's just. You have this whole – it's just get out of here. Everybody leave. Go. Go. He could go. Helping his friends get away, and instead he leaves them to die and goes, all right, I'm going to go learn how to jump Well, they're around. not they're not rendezvousing anywhere. They're running off into an asteroid field. Kelly, well, Yeah, but he's to rendezvous with the other soldiers. Everybody's scattered. He's like, he's gone yeah. Mm, yeah, and then – right. So no one knows where – and then that – he doesn't even leave a note. Like, by the way, don't worry about me. Like, what if they go looking for him? I'm, I'm sure, sure he they... messaged them on Facebook. Did he leave them a map? All right. My under is uh... <laughs> Serenity. Oh, you Which... jerk. How dare you? Ah, what? How you dare think you? Ooh, now, I don't have a dog in this fight, but I do one of these days need to watch the Serenity thing. Oh, man, I love Serenity. Sometimes. I like Serenity, but I was really into Star Trek Beyond. I'm kind of more towards Tom on Star Trek Beyond. That was a, a, shockingly good for what I was expecting. Kelly Wanda, are you bracketing? How good? How close? Explain to me, because someone who hasn't seen Serenity but who lo- loved Star Trek Beyond, uh, how close is your bracketing here? How much should this make me want to see Serenity? Well, about half a henway. One, two, three, not only you and me, uh, I need a three, uh, 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 can I, you know, like some people will script Dr. Scripps. Can I joke doctor that a little bit? Yeah, well, I think it would have been funnier be if you'd said. I think it would have been better. Yeah, let's let's do this again. So you be me, Kelly I'm gonna Wan- be you, and I'm gonna we're gonna I'm gonna give you some joke, Doctor. Go ahead. All right, Kelly Wan. Duh. Uh, yeah. Hey, how would you bracket those two movies you were talking about? Duh. About half a Jane way. Ah, well done. Oh, that's not as good. Ah, that's how did good. you even do that? Well, I'm a, I know a lot about the Star Trek verse. I'm a Trekkie. I don't know if you guys know that about me. If you have any questions about the Trekverse, I can I can answer them. I have to tell you, uh, sitting there next to Tom and 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 just getting this vibe off of him that he was enjoying it so freaking much was great. It was just a I, great part of the experience. I honestly, Dingus was was considering, and I mean this seriously. I'm 110. percent Here's my mindset. I was honestly considering uh, begging off going with you intentionally because I was thinking, you know, if Dingus doesn't like it, I don't want to harsh his vibe because I really did think. I just am not going to be into this, you know. I'm I, I'm just going to be bored, and I know what that's like. Like when one of us is really into the movie, and and, and it's not, you know, you know, we're we're conscientious of each other. But I just didn't want to harsh your vibe if I was just so bored with the movie. Nice, <laughs> yeah. So I no, Dingus, it was, wasn't nice. It was not nice at all. <laughs> God. Yeah, I was honestly thinking of a way to maybe uh, like go at a time when uh, separately. So I'm glad um, I did though because that that just made it all the more enjoyable. To, yeah. Just for the sabotage thing alone, I mean, it was just so much fun. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, speaking of sabotage, yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> Kelly, Wan, what is this week's three by three? Ooh! <laughs> Come on, Ohura, help us out. <laughs> oh, speaking of Ohura and communications directors, what is this week's three by three? Does that work? Oh, <laughs> half a Jane away. <laughs> Um, this week's 3x3 enjoyment, yeah? 
There's, there's a dude named Jane in um, in Serenity. Serenity. Yeah. Ah, see, that's a real life thing, actually. There's a just dude named, edited. And... There's a dude named Jane. Well, there's Thomas Jane, but there's a dude named Jane who famously chronicled uh, military hardware, like ships and airplanes. What do they call those guides? Janes. True story. Yeah, there's James. a famous guy named Cliff who takes really good notes. <laughs> Jane Tell says you. she's done with surgery. <laughs> Oh, wow, Dingus. Look at you. Yeah. Kelly, this what week, is this week's 3x3? Three three? This week's 3x3 three three is three best scenes with a microphone. Oh, man. You said that like a, a Beck song. <laughs> you did. Three best you? scenes with the microphone. Three mm. best scenes. Thank you, Kelly Wand, for playing me over with your musical intro. Uh, my third favorite scene with a microphone, and not my favorite it's just so aggressively stupid but it's just endemic of these movies and i'm sort of ashamed of myself for how funny i think it is and it's you know it's an urban legend it's not even a joke they didn't write this because you, you hear about this it's the bit in naked gun where uh, leslie nielsen is giving a press conference and he goes to the men's room to take a leak and he's still got the mic on and it's just you know naked gun just played it draws the joke out like the whole joke is, wow, he's peeing a lot. Because uh, the mayor's giving a speech. Right, the mayor's giving a speech. They're all hearing it. He even like he even passes gas. Like they even do a fart joke in there, which I, you know, I don't. He sings. Yeah, Holy he sings. Fart. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it's just such a. It's is is Naked Gun Zucker Brothers. Yeah, but it's when they were still good. Uh, okay, right, right, yeah. They, so they don't do before nine eleven then. Yeah. Wait, when did Zucker Brothers start sucking? Like, what's what's crappy stuff that they did? I don't know. The last good one I liked was uh, the one where Leslie Nielsen's The Fugitive. Didn't they do that one? Oh God! So or is that going with those? Oh, I didn't. I thought I just assumed that was those guys that did like those Go Call a Spartan movies or whatever. Naked Gun? No, what? Like scary Dude. movie? Like the people? Like is it? Yeah, isn't there a three hundred take? Wait, airplane? Yeah, it's called like Meet the oh, Spartans, yeah. isn't it? Meet the Spartans. Right, right, yeah. right. Urban electric, isn't it? I think they got unfunny after 9-11. I mean, it wasn't just making a joke. I think that their like, sort of rabid conservatism came out and, and Ooh, kind gross. of dampened their humor. They, they got Dennis Millard. They're yeah, old. I think that's what happened. Right. So. Yeah. All right. Well, so we all know it. There's my number three pick. Uh, that's a great one. I love that part. Right. Thank you. It's hilarious. Uh, we'll see how we do with You're my not in jail. Okay, good. <laughs> so really that funny. brings us to Dingus's number three pick. Dingus, what's your third favorite microphone scene? All right, here's a quote from it. Uh, hey, there ain't much difference between a bridge and a wall. I feel like I've seen it. Uh, you have seen it? Um, speaking of 2001 uh, and 9-11, this is one of the two movies – I saw one of the first two movies I saw in a theater after um, the events of 9-11 happened. Um, I didn't go to the movies for a couple of weeks after that. Uh, and then a couple of theaters were in the president and everybody was like, get, get yourselves back out into the community. And there was this theater near us that said, hey, come to see the movie. If you see a movie, you can see two movies. Uh, so we all went to see a couple of movies, and one of them was Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And so the the actual scene in, in Hedwig, um, it's not – I mean, obviously he's using a microphone. She's using a microphone. I'm not sure quite how to gender Hedwig. Um, 
I guess I should say she, uh, is using a microphone throughout this. But the actual scene that I'm talking about and why I love this scene so much, I'm just crazy about this movie, uh, is the, is the opening number. Um, and it's, it's that great moment, this beautiful moment when Yitzhak, uh, is singing. I think it's, I, I think they're all singing, um, Take Me Down. Uh, I think it's the song they're singing. I mean, I just watched it, but I'm a little bit confused right now. Um, and <laughs> what? The thing is, just, just a hint: Jason Clark is not in Hedwig and the Angry Inch. So Are you know. sure about this? I'm, I'm positive, just so you know. Yeah. But Cornelius is. <laughs> Ryan McDowell. All right. So later, when the Terminator comes back and goes back <laughs> through time, uh, so it's tear me down. Um, and. Uh, so it's the end of the song, and it's like they're singing in this Red Lobster or something, uh, because uh, if you remember the way the movie is structured, uh, Hedwig and his band are singing in like a series like Shoney's and Red Lobsters and these poor tiny vin- uh, venues where Tommy Gnosis is playing in, in arenas and, and singing the same song, Turn Me Down. Um, but they go through this this whole thing, uh, the, this whole song, and this what looks like a red lobster, where they've got this little like portion of the of the building. This is before the salad bar one that happens later on, and um, and at the end of the song, uh, Yitzhak, who is um, is an, is uh, a woman performer, but with like a bearded face and and like appearing like sort of an Axl Rose like playing the guitar but does this whole uh thing at the very end of the song where she does this beautiful like high trilling note and Hedwig goes over to the mic and yanks the chord out of it and finishes the note um and it's and it's sort of a, a setup for what their relationship is um and and how the relationship is going to be tumultuous over the course of the movie and how that's going to play out in the last scenes of the movie and specifically in the last uh in the last number of the movie where they're talking when I think it's midnight radio where where Hedwig gives uh her the wig um uh, but uh, I mean, the the relationship's much more complex than that, but I just love the the way that in Tear Me Down, it's set up by Hedwig going over and ripping the cord out of the mic, just as as Yitzhak is doing that beautiful high note. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that Kelly Wand has never seen Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I don't see movies uh, that don't honor the metric system. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Would Kelly Wand like Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Dingus? Uh, never make it sound enticing to me. Man, it's so good. It's a Damn tough it. sell, though, because I, I remember it. hearing about it and not wanting to see it. Like, I, you know, if you explain it to someone, oh, a musical about a, a transgender singer. Who's, uh, who's had a, a botched, a botched uh, surgery, yeah. Yeah. you know, because she fell in love with a military dude in Germany. Oh, um, sounds terrible. It, it does sound terrible, but it it's just so beautifully done, so beautifully structured, and the songs are just so Gosh darn good. Dang it. Kelly Wand, here's what we, it's a, it's a, it's a real example of auteur filmmaking. The guy who made it, who uh, originated the musical, uh, you know, he, he, isn't the guy, like he, the, the person who he did the musical with, who, like, cause in musicals, sometimes somebody does the, the music, someone else does the words. There's a name for that. Maybe words and music. I don't know, whatever. The uh, book, yeah. The book, yeah, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, it's John Cameron like Mitchell who does the book. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and he also did it with his friend who, shoot, I don't remember who that was. But at any rate, Stephen, Stephen Trask. 
Yes, thank you, Dingus. Well yeah. done. Uh, I, I'm to- I'm such a big fan of this movie. Yeah. Well, and it's it's even I don't like I don't like movies. M- movies of musicals do nothing for me, but I think this movie is just so good, and it's such a a labor of love, and it's just so energetic, and he's so invested in it, and he acts in it, and he wrote it, and he sings, and uh, it's just a classic example of auteur filmmaking. Right. So there you go, Kelly Wand. Oh, that was the word you were trying to remember? Yeah. No, no, I remember the word. I'm just trying to impress you with that word. Did it work? Uh, I wasn't really listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kelly Wand, then give us your third favorite microphone in a movie, or microphone scene, really. I'll do a quote. Mm-hmm. I went to Thailand recently with my husband, Perry, and there's a beautiful saying that I learned there. Kob kon ka. It means you are a part of me, a part that I could never live without, and I hope and I pray that I never have to. Kob kon ka. Kob kon ka. And that's it tonight. Thank you for coming. Really quick. Thank you all for coming. The dessert wine is out. Just want to say really quick. Consuelo. Really quick, speak Consuelo. William and I took Spanish together in school, and so I would just like to say to you and to everyone here, gracias para vivar en la casa en la... Escuelas en, en la azul marcada tienes convivir en las fotoashla. And gracias. Kelly, one, that was some good work. Uh, wedding singer? Yeah, no, it's Bridesmaids. Ugh. Oh, good yeah. lord. <laughs> bridesmaids. Of course. Epic mic off. And that's, between. of course, Rose Burns scene. Rose Burns coming out scene as a comedian, I thought. That's where we realized, Holy hey, shit. she's hot and funny. Rose Burns stealing a scene, a comedy scene from Kristen Wiig. I mean, at least she's holding her own. No, that's uh, quite that's a few. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So no, I love hilarious that. scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and it's so great you know. for the way that the, the mic is actually used in the scene. Yeah. This, is, this is one mm-hmm. of those great, great additions to exactly what you're going for with the topic is, is you know because yeah. they're they're like fighting for the mic and then all of a sudden rose Byrne shows up with another mic yeah <laughs> they, they have two That's mics so at good. some point uh and then they like they battle over the mic for a little bit uh yeah that's a great thing that's a great great yeah. choice yeah doesn't it make you guys excited that we then get to see from the same director ghostbusters next week yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> my second okay. uh, pardon. Yeah, my second favorite uh yeah, thanks Kelly Wan for spoiling it. My second favorite microphone scene is uh it, so there's a reason I'm actually picking this and it's it's time related. Like this is a timing critical three by three choice. So if you're not listening to this around the time that we've recorded it, you may not appreciate it as much. But Humongous is pulled up outside of the refinery where uh, they're besieging the refinery. They want to take it away from the people who are in the refinery. And Humongous has this – it's like a buggy with a PA system on it. And it's got a mic, the sort that you put on a desk at a, a principal's office when you're reading the announcements. But it's hooked up to the PA system on the buggy. And Humongous actually looks kind of goofy. He's a big old weightlifter guy with a hockey mask. And for whatever reason, in addition to the hockey mask, he wears a neck brace. Whatever's going on with Humongous – we don't know. Wait, so the, the movie's uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, right? <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> no, actually, no, this is a Terminator movie, of course. Oh, God, really? Right. Oh, you guys. Oh. So he's up there I... giving a speech to try to scare the people in the refinery out of the refinery to basically say, just walk away. Like, that's the famous line, just walk away. I'll let you go. Just walk away. You can leave now. Just walk away. Like, that's his speech. That's, his, that's the thrust of it. And it's supposed to strike terror into their hearts. But this speech ends up being a complete 
shit show and it completely falls apart and doesn't terrorize them for various reasons. One of which is these prisoners that they've taken just keep yelling. They're yelling, don't listen to him. He's a jerk. They're basically heckling Humongous's speech. So Toady, who's Humongous's basically Chris Christie, is trying to shut them up by hitting them on the head. And Toady, is, he can't control these guys. So eventually Wes, uh, who actually Wes is more like the Chris Christie in this analogy, I guess. Wes goes over there and just smacks the guy on the head and knocks him out. And then, then the feral kid comes out with this steel-edged boomerang. And while Toady is trying to make a point, because Wes has also shot a rabbit – you know, Wes just shoots a rabbit out of the blue, and then Toadie's like, yeah, see, see what we can do. Humongous is still trying to give his speech, by the way. All of these little sideshows are going, and then the feral kid comes out, and he throws the boomerang, and he kills Rod Stewart, and then everybody's like laughing because Toadie's fingers get cut off. But Wes is now really upset because Rod Stewart was his boyfriend, so then Humongous now has to do Wes management and do a chokehold on the guy until he passes out, and then the guys have to carry Wes away, and then he tries to resume his speech. So it's it's watching the scene again and realizing things didn't go the way Humongous intended them to be. And it just reminded me of the Republican National Convention this week uh, with uh, how all of that went down. <laughs> Rewatching that scene just put me in mind of the Republican National Convention, and I just love Humongous sitting there with his microphone trying to terrorize these people. And just turns Was out to Cruz be like, the fair? Cruz would have been the feral kid. Very good, Kelly Wand. Feral I, kid in your analogy. Perfect. Cruz is totally the feral kid. Absolutely. Yep. And what movie is this? Oh, Vingus. Very good. This is a movie you don't know called The Road Warrior. Oh, I thought it was Beyond Thunderdome. No, please. All the speeches work in that. I, I do honestly get confused between which is Mad Max and which is The Road Warrior. Mm, you should uh, work on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Dingus, what is your second favorite microphone uh, scene in a movie? All right, my second favorite microphone scene in a movie is um, uh, Kelly Wan's favorite movie from, I think, 2010, uh, and that would be The King's Speech. Um, mm -hmm. What do you mean? Mm -hmm. It was Kelly Wan's favorite movie. It was the number one movie of that year. There was nothing better than King's Speech. Yep. Yeah, super good. Uh, I just love the way that 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 microphone is hanging before his face in that in that scene where he's doing the speech, and it just it weirdly enough it reminds me of that weird like thing that uh, crawl has to like grab onto. It's just this weird disc that's hanging in front of him with a little bit of a uh, of a, a rectangle of of, uh, of black in the middle of it, and and I, and just understanding that. That feeling of intimidation that he must have been going through in trying to do that, that very important speech. I, I love that scene where, where Jeffrey Rush is on the other side of it. And um, it is Jeffrey Rush, right? Yes, yeah, it is oh, yeah, Jeffrey yeah, Rush. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Which it, movie? Not Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> um, it's Jeffrey Rush on the other side of it, like coaching him through it. And I just love that the way that the microphone looks like so intimidating. Uh, to, in the way that it, it's not like a normal, like, I'm just going to hold a microphone and sing into it. Uh, it's this, this huge apparatus that's hanging in front of him. Um, so I, I do love that King's Speech scene. Kelly Wan, what is your second favorite microphone scene in a movie? Uh, I like the scene in Election where Chris Klein gives that speech. 
where he's and he starts mumbling. But for me, I'll be the best president. That's my number two. And why is it so good? Um, because his bad mic technique is um, funny. <laughs> what does that movie tell us about the size of his penis? Uh, I saw his speech is like. Oh, I see what you're saying. No, it was that scene where, where he's praying, and he's yeah. like, and thank you, God, for giving me... Uh, what was that? For what people tell me is a very penis. large penis. Yeah. 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 So. Wait, that's not part of his election speech. Though. It should have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would have gotten point. him elected in the New York Minute. Right. But even though he's well-endowed, it doesn't make him a good speaker. Right, right. There's one that's thing we've learned. Yeah. 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 My favorite microphone scene... Uh, and I kind of feel this is the microphone movie to end all microphone movies. And I imagine Kelly Wan's with me. Dingus might resist me on this one. Uh, the opening of the conversation where you've yeah, got the, the Frederick Forrest and Cindy Williams. No, Cindy Williams? Is that Shirley? Mm-hmm. Cindy yeah. Williams. Yeah. Uh, wandering around the crowded square with that annoying-ass mime uh, and then the, the jazz music playing and the guy with the drummer. And the whole point of the scene is that Harry Cole is supposed to bug their conversation. Right. Uh, and... The, the microphones are uh, – actually, John Casale in the truck. I don't know who's got the sniper. There's like a sniper scope microphone, a directional mic. Uh, Harry Call has a mic. His cop buddy has a mic uh, and is sitting down. You know, It's hidden in a shopping bag, uh, and he gets busted and has to leave. But the movie is all about uh, Harry Call uh, then having these three audio tracks, uh, and Coppola loved showing us because at the time, I imagine this was quite a reveal – uh, this, is, this is quite a, a cool thing for moviegoers to see. He loved showing us this idea of the three different soundtracks and how you could do, turn a switch up to make one louder and the other quieter. You know, anybody who's ever used Audacity, that's like, yeah, of course, big deal. Like, it's got to look funny to kids these days. Uh, but back then, seeing Harry Call managing these three sound sources and then constantly editing in the actual scene uh, the way Coppola did – uh, you know, that scene of them walking around in the crowd and being tracked audioly with sound is also edited visually. It's it's texture throughout the conversation. Uh, so I love that scene. I love the opening. Oh, I particularly love from rewatching it. I didn't remember this. The, the audio in the movie has this weird, like otherworldly chittering distortion where the the audio is trying to pick their voice out from amongst background noise. Uh, And it's just, like, I've never really, I don't know what that sound is, or I don't know why more movies don't use it for creepy effects, but there's just this weird chittering distortion uh, in the opening of the conversation that I love. Poltergeist does it, doesn't it? Does it? Ghost movies do it, yeah. That's awesome if they do, but just rewatching it, I was like, wow, that's an awesome effect. Uh, It's just really creepy. Um, so yeah, that makes sense, Kelly Wand, if they do use it. Yeah, so and it's, it's like it's making a microphone seem creepy, which is not easy. Which like, is, you know, it. Happen. This is from an era, and it's it's curiously relevant now. But it's from an era, you know. This is the, the paranoia of the seventies. Wiretap. Uh, it was surveillance, right? This was a movie about yeah. surveillance and mm-hmm. and how scary it was, and it you know it played into this anxiety about it in the seventies and the, the the wake of Watergate and whatnot and. Uh, so the conversation is really uh, – it, 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 technologically, it doesn't hold up, but as far as the the point it's making and the, the general creepiness of it, it definitely holds up. Yeah, yeah, and the whole plot hinges on how a microphone works. Yeah, 
Yeah. Although and, he also cheats it. What? How do you How do you mean? Because she says the line a different way. Oh no no no! Well, it. I, I think we're seeing that Harry Call is an unreliable narrator. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, what we're what we're experiencing is the is the viewer because the movie never we never see scenes that Harry calls not in, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so what we're hearing is the way he hears it, uh, and his whole thing too. Uh, yeah. It's a fascinating character. Is how he never interprets things. He doesn't care right. about who people are. He doesn't care why he's doing a job. He's just documenting. He's not interpreting. He's not concerned. And then we find out. Wait a minute, you didn't hear that correctly. Uh, right. You did interpret, and I think that I don't think it's Coppola cheap, cheating as much as I think is the entire point of of this character. I, I think. No, but we can go back in theory and go. Oh wait, that's a different delivery. Right, but right. That's we're in his head, and the movie is told from his viewpoint. What you just said is true. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's cheating so much as just a, a technique to create to make this point. Uh, yeah. Right. But, but you're, like, yeah, you're right. You yeah. definitely go back like when it when you get the reveal about their actual intonation and what the line means, you can be like, wait a minute, that's not the line yeah. they said before. And you can rewind the movie and you can see, ah, that's what Coppola did. Is he? Yeah, he lied to right. me. Right. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's probably better to cheat than to actually have her say it, so it could be interpreted either way, and then it's too predictable. Right. Right. Yeah. All right, All right, Gingus, what is your favorite microphone scene in a movie? And, you know, maybe you got a line from it for us. Uh, I do. I just, uh, on your point about the conversation, I think it's mm-hmm. a great pick. I just wish Kelly Wand had narrowed the topic a little bit. Because I, I think bugs and surveillance would be a great topic on its own. Um, and then I because I kept wondering when we were talking about microphones all week, I was thinking about are we gonna get a lot of like TK four four two one, why aren't you at your post? Are these <laughs> like handheld microphones? Because there's so this this topic is really rich. And then I started thinking about bugs and surveillance and those are technically technically microphones, but I think that's a whole other topic. Right. But but that's a really good pick because Kelly didn't narrow it. Well, and just so you know, in this scene in the conversation, it's not like the bit with Alan Garfield where he puts the pen in his pocket, uh, where that's a bug. These are actual physical microphones. You know, Gene Hackman's carrying right. one. The, the the other cop is carrying mm-hmm. one. The directional mic. Uh, so yeah, they're bugging. You know, as far as the verb of what they're doing. You know, Alan Garfield calls uh, Harry Call the best bugger on the West Coast, which doesn't quite sound like. I don't it know. reads weird. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to be called that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, these are not like the weird little bugs that he's looking for in his apartment at the end. These are definite microphones. But yeah, you're, you're right, Dingus. Uh, it's definitely uh, Kelly Wan. You shouldn't narrow the topic down. Suck it. What? Why can't we just have fun? Or you know what that means is actually then somebody can pick that as a three by three right. and we can talk more about the conversation. See, yeah, we can converse more about that, and, exactly. the, and I can finally yeah. ask what the hell's going on with that toilet. What is he doing? <laughs> See, that's I think where he's gotten nuts though. What? Because uh, there's blood in the toilet yeah. at the end of conversation. Yeah. Oh, like oh, 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 okay, right. I didn't, I didn't watch I understood all the way down. Okay. I speak dingus. <laughs> Not fluently, but you know. Ura, do you speak I dingus? I speak pigeon dingus. <laughs> I speak pig dingus. I am fluent in over six million forms of dingus. All right, so my Just like uh, Ura. my final one, uh, my final choice for microphone starts with this quote. Uh, Come on, Marty, this segues so nicely into my '80s weekend. Uh, okay, so Back wedding. to the Future doesn't wedding. sound like a doc. Wedding singer, wedding singer. 
No, it's from a movie called Gross Point Blank. Um, and uh, I had trouble... Uh, there was another movie of John Cusack that I was going to choose, but I've cho- chosen it for something else before. So I went ahead and made it a task for myself just to knock that off. I'll just use that as a runner-up. But then I remembered this beautiful moment, and I really, really love this moment. Because um, Minnie Driver... You know, uh, uh, John Cusack's character is going back to Gross Point. You know, he's a hitman. He's going back to town. He's been inspired by uh, his operator to, you know, go back to your high school reunion. You haven't been there for 10 years. You need to go back. You need to take a break. You need to go back there. And uh, the girl that he stood up for prom, Minnie Driver, has this little local radio show that she does in the main street of town. The, the radio station is right there in the main street of town. And she broadcasts this this cool radio show. Uh, and he cruises into town. He And it's one of these, like, fictional little radio stations that, you know, the person is sitting there on a storefront. Uh, and you can just see the see her broadcasting her show right there through the storefront. Uh, he watches her for a bit, like incognito in his sunglasses, and drives away. Then he comes back, and she kind of cajoles him, and he co- he comes in, and then he leaves again, and then she, because it's broadcasting out into the street, um, convinces him that he should come come back in, or, or sort of teases him to come back in. And he comes back into the room, and he's a very secretive guy. He hasn't been back in town for 10 years. The last time they saw each other, and they're still really into each other, was when he stood her up for prom, because uh, he's a kind of a, a lousy jerk who can't figure out how to work, make his life work. Um, and his therapist has suggested that he come back to this high school reunion. And she gets him to sit down for this impromptu interview. And they have these microphones that are hanging over their heads that you would use like in a radio interview. And she forces him to use this this microphone to talk and i love the way that the microphones are manipulated in this scene and the way that mini driver and john cusack react with each other and react with them and sort of interact with the microphones and and once the interview is over the way the microphones are kind of folded up um so the just that way that it's used in that radio interview, these hanging, these beautiful little hanging microphones. I really love the way the microphones look in all three of my picks. So the, it's that gross point blank moment. thing is, how do you spell gross point? You have to put an E on all but one of the words. Very good. And uh, Jason Clark in that? Because you've put an E at the end of his name too, don't you? He is. Uh, he plays Jeremy Piven's character, and he says, Ten years! Ten! And it's like, Jason Clark, what are you doing there? It's so weird. But he's he's filled with nanobots, so what are you going to do? <laughs> All right, Kelly Wan, give us your favorite microphone scene in a movie. Mine was Blowout, I told you. When did you tell me it was Wait, Blowout? What are you talking about? While you were talking? I mean, the conversation. Blowout was <laughs> Good lord, that's worse than Dingus's Jason Clark thing. Really? I gotta mix up. Really? A Brian well, both sound movie. guys. Wait, they're both sound guys. And that's all I had to say after wait. Oh, he almost <laughs> he almost saved me. <laughs> conversation. See? So you're gonna pick blowout over a conversation though. As far as a movie, no. movie about sound no, guys. He's like, picking what? a conversation, he just got it confused with blowout. Yeah, oh, I, oh, oh I see what you say. Okay, right, right. Okay. Blowout's not bad. That's the, as as okay, no that's what it's no blow up. Uh, I kind of think you're right, Dingus. Uh, like blow up, 
I think of as a chore movie, but every time I've seen it, it's like, oh, this is actually really good. Yeah. You know, black like and white. Yeah, yeah. It's like a grandpa it's movie, like but it's like... kind of cool. Blow up is like... yeah, you're right. It's not black. It's just old. When I when I see old movies, I recall them. You as pretend being... they're black and white. Yeah, yeah. I remember they're. I, I remember them in black and white. <laughs> That's how I Wait, remember so you, aren't you? Right. Which was uh, only a couple of years after that. Eight and a half is black and white, right? Yeah. Okay. So you got that. That's true. You didn't name a black and white movie by name. <laughs> I'm trying to think of another black and white movie that I don't hate. The Dolce Vita. Is that black and white? You like we, the artist. Let's do – for next week's quiz, I'm going to do yeah, is this black and white or not. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how how well I would fare in that thing. <laughs> you like Casablanca. Well, I know that's black and white because that's from what, 1902? Mm, well, some some of it is black and white. Yeah. They made one more two movies so they didn't know how it was going to end. So they had to just <laughs> make it seem like they were going to win. All right, Kelly Wan, what do the listeners have as far as their favorite microphones? Yeah, a couple. Paul Weimer writes, hey, guys, as a podcast myself, I appreciate this topic from Kelly. Here are my picks. Uh, oh, boy. Oh, I got it. Here we go. Yeah. Spelling, spelling jokes are great on podcasts. <laughs> Homonyms really read. If you think that's good, Paul Weimer's number three is, in The Dark Knight Rises... Bane caps off his speech <laughs> at the stadium with tossing the microphone onto the body of the doctor he's just killed. Talk about a mic drop. All right. That's actually a good pick. I thought he was just talking about Bane uh, talking, and that was his microphone. <laughs> Born to the microphone. Born to the microphone. Born. That, wait, that, that's your Bane, Kelly? Ooh. That's the worst Bane. Anybody can do a Bane. Ooh. That's the worst Bane I've ever heard. Yep. Oh, no! No! Like Maggie Smith no, is playing. No. <laughs> Maggie Smith's Bane. That's awesome. Yeah. Chris Pine, please get out. Uh, number two, in Dark City, we're introduced to the beautiful Jennifer Connelly's character by having her at a nightclub appear out of the shadows, step up to the microphone under a light, and begin to sing. Seductive and sexy. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Number one, in Back to the Future, Marty, parentheses, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise, I, yeah, that's one of those that I, it's confusing, right? Who? Yeah, yeah I, I can't the, tell from I the name. Which Clancy Brown version. <laughs> He's the only Marty in movies, isn't he? Isn't there, isn't there a, a Ernest Borgnine movie called Marty? Yeah, but that's not about flowers. It's Marnie. Marnie? What kind of name is that for a, a dude? You know, there is... It's not Marnie. That's a, that's a Alfred Hitchcock. Kelly. Kelly? Yeah. I'm with Dingus. Oh. Marty. Marty McFly. Hero. Right. It's science. In Back to the Future, Marty, Michael J. Fox, having anachronistically introduced the 50s audience to some 80s metal... Okay. Complete with enthusiastic stage action, comes up to the microphone and says apologetically, guess you weren't ready for that yet, but you kids are going to love it. Yeah, that's good. But was it dubbed? You mean, yeah. did Michael J. Fox actually play the guitar? Yeah. Well, or just the pretending guitar stuff. Yeah. And it could have been a non-faked physical gesture, for all we know. Uh, this guy just wrote if he wants us to give... If he wants topic suggestions. So, uh, no, we're fine. Thank you. <laughs> Arthur Giovanni Jelly writes. Wait, were there any good ones in there? 
He didn't. He didn't submit it. Eh? Oh, oh, he's just saying, "Did we want some?" I see. You can always send them yeah. to us. I mean, we're we're all, you know we're open to ideas. That's true. I just meant I didn't want to read it right now. Um, we're in the uh, we're in the three by three. We're in the microphone zone right now. The micro zone. Arthur Giovannigelli writes, number three, The Wedding Singer. Before launching into an awkward and inappropriate rendition of Love Stinks, Adam Sandler uses his microphone to give his thoughts on love. When the father of the bride objects, Sandler tells him, I have a microphone and you don't, so you will listen to every damn word I say. Thank you, Arthur. I've never seen it, but I knew someone had to pick Wedding Singer. I figured there had to be a mic scene in there. Also, I predict someone someone will pick the end of Ricky and the Flash. That was my number one before I picked Blowout. <laughs> what happens with the mic at the end? Ricky and the Flash? What? Yeah. I just she gets up and does her act. She uh, Meryl Streep rocks oh, out. at the wedding. Okay. Yeah. yeah. How can you forget that same thing? This is classic. No, I, I, I was just thinking about specific ways microphones are used. But not just All the rich the people the dance. They give in. It's like Footloose. The thing about the Back to the Future thing that drives me nuts is – is is Chuck Berry's cousin like calling off stage? Like, gotta listen. I'm trying to get in touch with Chuck. Chuck Berry. A white, a white. Yeah. It's just listen so this white guy's music. Painfully obvious. And 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 so we're supposed to believe that this white dude has incepted Chuck Berry through time travel. We don't know that that didn't happen, Dingus. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, we don't. I mean, if Star Trek has taught us nothing else, it's that. You know. <laughs> Marty McFly caused everything to happen. He's like Forrest Gump. Number two. That that Spock went back in time to teach Scotty his his own formula for transwarp. Yeah, remember? And the watch. Or no, it's not the eyeglasses. Wasn't it the eyeglasses? Yeah. Star Trek IV. You know, I don't want to hear, I don't, I never want to hear you guys get onto me about Interstellar ever again. Just so you know. Which movie's that? How's uh-huh. that? Why do you want that? Uh-huh. That's the one with Matthew Broderick? He goes into a wormhole and he tells himself wait. He he does <laughs> Dingus tell Tom to tell you. <laughs> I have to the apes, not terminators. <laughs> There's a huge difference. Wait, apes, apes can air. be terminators. I know that. No, <laughs> Why don't they go back to eight times? That seems like a good, ah, such a good idea for a movie. Okay, what? Tom, you were saying something interesting before I cut you off of that. Sorry. You just need to what? see Interstellar again. I can't explain it. It's it's no. quantum physics. No, no one. <laughs> I don't know. I put goes, the note back in one. Wait, he go, doesn't Matthew <laughs> McConaughey go into a black hole and give him his daughter the his formula daughter. to break, to like violate gravity and the formula is no, you know what? He, Never mind. It's he not uses red matter. He sends her red matter. No, that's the thing. Is Interstellar doesn't have any of that. Interstellar makes perfect sense now that I think of it. I thought there was a paradox in Interstellar. There's not. It's it's all above board. Just so you guys. No, it's a loop. Nope, not even a loop. It's all above board. Nope, it's not even a loop. <laughs> Unlike Planet of the Apes. You know what's funny? Planet of the Apes is a loop because or the old ones because it's like they blew up, they nuked the world. Right. Right. In the second Planet of the Apes, and then they go back in time and cause. Oh, forget it. <laughs> you won't understand. I'll diagram it online somewhere. Number two, the King's Speech. Uh huh. 
Lots of old-timey microphones appear throughout Kelly Wan's favorite movie of 2010, and their role changes as the story progresses. My personal favorite is the one that's set up for Colin Firth's use in Wembley Stadium at the very beginning of the movie. It's clear that this is an unfamiliar object to Firth's character and one that inspires tremendous fear. Yeah, it's a terrifying-looking device. It's before they made them all look like dicks. Number one, <laughs> Scott Pilgrim versus the world. To you know, ease, ease guys into seeing into them easier. <laughs> At the first club at which we see Sex Babom, Scott's band, performing, there is a band on stage before them called Crash and the Boys. When their lead singer steps up to the mic, they play a very short song, after which Kieran Culkin mocks them. His continuous taunting provokes the band to dedicate a song to him called We Hate You, Please Die. Naturally, this is all set into a microphone and never fails to confuse me. Maybe that movie's fine, Tom. We should see it again. I we're busy with Jules Byrne. I know. No, I sometimes think I should. I mean, I, I like I like me some Michael Sarah and and the, that Culkin kid. He's one of the, he's the good Culkin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, oh, and, aren't there good jokes in that movie? And we well, just yeah. Well, and, and, I don't want to find out that bread makes me fat again. <laughs> Dingus, say we can edit that part out. Right. Um, but uh, uh, what's her name? Not Allison Brie. Decker. Brie Larson. Like I want to go back and see Brie Larson before I knew how good she was. Right. Uh, I really am a fan of Mary Elizabeth Winstead now. I want to go back and see her. Uh, yeah, and the I love the Ruth. you love Brendan Ruth. Brendan Ruth, right? Uh, Diggs, I don't know if you're joking, but yeah, he's good in that. Yeah, vegetarian, yeah, please. Is. Kelly, uh, one, do you know what a, do you know what a pescatarian is? Yeah, I am one. What is it? It's someone who eats fish and vegetables. All right. I'm the, I'm what, the what then is someone who doesn't eat fish? Dingus has a word for this. That he he suggested a term for this today. An airplane. <laughs> no. What? Um, <laughs> no, it's like what do two rights make? An airplane. If I didn't eat fish and I called myself an anti-pescatarian, would that work for you? What do you eat? <laughs> what start with what you do? <laughs> well, I, it occurs, it doesn't sound like fish. someone who is against pescatarians. It has nothing to do with like whether or not they eat fish. They're, they just you only don't eat pescatarians. No, they don't like pescatarians. They're against pescatarians. Uh, like that would so mean I don't like people who eat seafood. If I was an anti-pescatarian, I would not like you. Anti-pescatarian. Yeah, I think that's why I was confused when you used the term earlier. I'm just yeah. saying. Wait, I'm not against other people's diets. I'm just no, not, I know. You're a pescatarian. You're not an anti-pescatarian. Right, right. Yeah, I'm not an anti-really anything. Well. I just can't enjoy it. My I don't son like really them. loves fish. Not eating them. He just loves understanding and studying. And you catch if he if he goes on a on a fishing trip, it's all catch and release, or he won't do it. Uh, he loves fish. He loves learning about them. So he refuses to eat fish. For that reason, not Wait, just because Aaron? he hates them. Yeah, he doesn't. Li- he de- he will not eat fish because he loves the idea of loves them so fish. much. He loves learning about them. So theophile. So his his mom labeled him an anti-pescatarian, which I think is just uh, fine. But he, that makes it sound like he, he's against Kelly Wand, and I don't I don't approve of that. Well, he he's, he's also against Kelly point. Wand, but oh. th- that, that's different. <laughs> Everyone's against Kelly Wand. I'm Nobody Kelly is Wand. actually. Everybody's for Kelly Wand. Everybody's pro Kelly Wand. Mm-hmm. We're all Wangatarians. That uh, Twitter fan site that an anonymous stalker started for me. The five followers on it really represent an interesting cross section of humanity. If you see. Kelly, what's the address on Twitter? Where, where on 
Twitter can we follow your fan club? I'm not a, I'm not affiliated with it, so I don't know if I should. Well, as far it. as we know. Yeah. What? You, you still think it's me? I, you can't prove that it's not you because you can't prove a negative. <laughs> it's way too organized. Again, you can't prove it's not you. There's this fan site called Kelly One Sixty Nine, but it's not me. So it's on Twitter at Kelly One Sixty Nine. We can follow it to. Uh, maybe yeah, it is. Maybe pretty, it isn't you. We don't know. We'll never find I'm out. Pretty sure it's a dude. Pretty sure it's a dude. You can't prove it's, it's not a dude. It can't be you then. What? You guys still think it's me for real? Uh, you know what? We'll let you the listeners. We'll let the listeners make up their mind. No, I we All do right. know that you. That was my first observation about it. Is that you are not nearly Twitter savvy enough to be doing that? So I agree with you. Or, I agree with you. And I don't like you. myself. Right. You should be on Twitter, by the way. And Twitter's, I don't listen to the podcast. All right. Well, that's I? okay because you listen when you're doing it. So, but uh, that's you, my fear. Yeah, you should well, be on Twitter. It, it'd freak me out if I heard it. Yeah. I'd get stage fright. I'm shy. All right, well, Kelly Wan, do we have listeners, speaking of stage fright and uh, being shy and microphones, do we have other listener submissions for favorite microphones? This is the final one. All right, it's going to be a great one. My apologies to Nick D, who wrote the last one and had to endure all that tangents. Uh, Hi, guys. Number three, oh, brother, where art thou? George Clooney and gang try to make some money by recording a song for the radio. There's some giggling in the background. I love the scene where Clooney nervously thrusts his face at the microphone for the first note of the song. It makes me laugh every time I see it. And then he's a genius. Well, that that just makes me think of the anecdote that George Clooney yeah. has told, where it, when they were recording it, uh, they were going to try to have him do the singing, and Clooney was like, "Yeah, you know, I'll I'll try to sing it." And so they did a take where he sings that song, and Clooney says. That how he knew that they were never going to use his voice is that after they did that that take, no one would make eye contact with him. <laughs> oh wow! I mean, he was very good really? about it, but I just love that idea that you know everyone was too polite to say uh, you don't have the voice for this. Instead, he just inferred from the fact that no one would look him in the eyes. <laughs> I love how that speaks to his security as a person. He's just yeah. like, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. I can relate. <laughs> Number two. Kelly, Black after Dynamite. the podcast, you'll note, whenever we finish recording the podcast, none of us make eye contact with you. No one does. <laughs> no one does in Germany either. It's good. I don't miss eye contact. It's been a while. Number two, Black Dynamite. <laughs> what? Didn't think that would be the next words out of my mouth, did you? <laughs> uh, Nick, Nick D's number two is Black Dynamite as a spoof of the old low-budget exploitation movies. In one scene. I don't think I've seen it. I get it mixed up with uh, that other one that's not the um, Eddie Griffin one. There's three. There's three Blaxploitation comics. Dolomite? Besides Soul Flame. I'm going to get you Sucka. The one where uh, Eddie Griffin's a spy. Uh, no one cares what I'm talking about. In one scene, Black Dynamite is at his desk and stands up too quickly for the putative camera operator, and his head goes out of frame. The camera pans up to compensate, and the boom mic is still in view. It's <laughs> silly gag, but it always works. So I'm right. Wait a minute. This is this is a a flub. It's a deliberate flub. It's making fun of oh, okay. flubs, basically. Right. Number one, blowout. Yeah. In this. 
to point for wands. In the sequence where Travolta re-listens to the audio footage of the car crash, he holds a pencil in his hand and imagines moving it to where his microphone was. De Palma flashes back to a close-up of the microphone moving in the same pattern to capture the different sounds from a couple walking at night to a frog walking at night to an owl and finally to the car crash. So that's Nick D's. And that's it for listeners. We're done with the listener submissions. Runners Thank you, up. listeners. Thank you, listeners. Yep. Runners up from you, gentlemen. Anything? No. I have it's one. Uh, almost made me list, but I'm a little shy about it because there's a weird pseudo-racist moment in it. Um, uh, it's from the movie Fletch. Um, and it's when Fletch is on the run from the police and he ducks into what looks like some sort of, uh, like meeting of a bunch of, uh, veteran, like old veterans, like an Elks Lodge kind of a thing. Uh, and he pretends to be a waiter and the police are following into the room and, uh, and this, uh, this black dude is up on stage, like, like emceeing the event and, uh, and Chevy Chase uh, Fletch starts to say, Hey, Sammy, how's it going up there? Sammy, are you going to sing for us? And, uh, and Chevy Chase goes up and grabs the mic. And in order to help himself get away, he gets all the veterans in the room, uh, to stand up and salute all the police officers. And he, and he sings, Oh, say, can you see? So that they all like salute the police officers and, Hey, let's all hug a cop. Uh, so he takes over this weird, uh, uh, not it's not like a convention hall but it's like a little like a like a a, a smaller room than a convention hall for one of these weird conference dinners um and he takes the mic and makes all the people hug all the cops with the mic he's holding the microphone and that helps him get away from the cops like how's that what's racist? the racist part yeah. that whole sammy thing it's like hey sammy you gonna sing for us it's that's it's Sammy. It's that weird, like, Sambo, Sammy, weird like, thing about... Is that being a Sammy Davis Jr. joke? It's a Sambo it, it, joke? No, it might be a... It might be a I guess it, it might be a Sammy Davis Jr. joke, but it's still a black dude. And he's saying, hey, Sammy, are you going <laughs> to sing for us? And he doesn't know the guy's name. He's just this black guy standing up in front of him. He's like, hey, Sammy, are you going to sing for us? If it was a Sambo reference, I would agree with you. But if it's just a Sammy Davis Jr. reference... Well, it might not be racist, but it's weird. Okay. It's just it's, it's a little skeevy for me. Well, I was expecting – as when you said that, I was expecting something even skeevier because one of the things that I noticed watching the conversation, there's a point where Gene Hackman uh, is with all these yahoos from the surveillance convention. And he says – because he's trying to change the subject. He says, hey, what did the – and this is his language. This is the quote in the movie, and it's so weird to hear this. He says, hey, what did the fag surveillance engineer say? And I was like, ew, gross. That's so weird. And it's, he's telling a dumb joke about, uh, yeah, how he's really good at bugging princess phones. Like that was the stupid uh, joke he's telling. But it's so weird hearing someone roll out like fag like that. Uh, uh, that's a weak punchline. Oh no! Well, that's Harry Call is not good at telling jokes. That's part of the point of it. Yeah. Uh, but just the he's fact just that he's using the it. word so informally, and you know, it's what is this seventy four? So yeah, it's a sign of the times. But that's why when Dingus, when you said a racist moment, I was I was waiting for the something uh, skeevier, as you said. No, it just, wait. It, it, I, I love I love the movie Fletch. I mean, it's nineteen eighty five, but it is it is a little creepy. Maybe creepy is a better word, or skeevy than racist. And yeah, Kelly Wan Hackman tells that joke. 
Uh, wow. I know. Well, it yeah. it's, it's, a ter- it's a dumb joke, and it doesn't sound – it's the moment where he thinks he's got an upper hand on Alan Garfield, and he's trying to be light and, and, and funny and lovable. It's before he gets shot down because he finds out he got bugged. But it's, it's Harry Call's version of, hey, I'm really letting my hair down now and having a good time. I'm going to tell a joke, <laughs> and that's his joke. So. I think that's a good character touch, though. No, no, I agree. I definitely agree. This and guy I, will like a homophobic joke. I'll just try and write one in my head really quick. Okay, yeah, princess. And I love the bit where he tells uh, John Cazale not to – like when John Cazale saying, Jesus and Christ. And he said, don't say that. Don't say that. And then later yeah. he goes to confession. Um, yeah. Right. Man, it blows my mind because I looked at this. Uh, John Cazale doing four movies. I didn't know this too. Uh, mm-hmm. When he shot Deer Hunter, he was dying of cancer then. Yeah. And he was, yeah. he was with Meryl Streep. I didn't yeah. know that either. Yeah, yeah. There's a documentary about him, and they said that it's like, and he's the only actor who had like every movie he made was like an Oscar. Yeah, picture. yeah, yeah. Like, just an amazing guy. Uh, yeah. All right, are you guys ready for next week's three by three? Mm-hmm. Speaking of creepy, I was looking for the adjective to describe. It. I didn't want to say favorite or best or even worst because these aren't things you generally like. Uh, so. These are, from movies, your creepiest cults. <laughs> if you are now thinking of movies like, oh, yeah, there's this cult in that movie or that cult in this movie. If you can – and not cult, not a horse, C-U-L-T, a cult. Uh, if you like call, creepy horses. <laughs> your creepy horse, yeah. Creepy uh, if, if you know of a creepy cult. You can think of one in a movie. You don't have to come up with three, by the way. Most of you guys listening, you're really good about making a point. Most of you guys listening, like you want to get three in, and that's fine if you can think of three, but don't ever like not write in because you can't think of three. If you can think of one, send that in. Let me know what creepy cults you can think of in movies that are the creepiest for you. Uh, and uh, well, you know, we'll talk about why I picked this next week when we talk about our picks. So send your. Did you join one? Uh, yeah, yeah, and I'd like to share some information with it about you guys next week. Okay. I'd like to sit down and, and talk to you about it. I'm really excited. Your uh, thetans do seem clearer. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, I feel like some thetans have yeah. uh, purged from me. Yeah, yeah get on it. Get on it. <laughs> so uh, send your picks to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com. We'll read them on the air. If you see Ghostbusters and you have some thoughts about that, share those with us. If you have some something about it you maybe are bugged by or curious about or you want us to talk about, let us know. Also send that to 3x3 at quarter3.com in a separate email So, because we wait to read the 3x3s till the end of the podcast. We don't want to miss any Ghostbusters comments you may have. Uh, so, And then, of course, see Ghostbusters and join us for our podcast for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian McClinsky. It's Christian Murawski. That's exactly what I just said. And we had with us Kelly Wand. Hey, what else can I fit in that fish lady's head in Star Trek? <laughs> nah, nah. Sabalage. Dingus set phasers to... <sighs> Kelly still not wearing pants? I thought I heard that line. Did he call that thing Kevin?
Did you say Kevin still not wearing pants? He called that little thing Kevin, didn't he? I think so. By the way, that, Kevin. that one of those first dudes was played by Scoot McNary. Stop. Dingus, that's Scoot not true. McNary. Yeah, one of those weird lion creatures was played by Scoot McNary. The things that turned out to be little tiny things. Yeah. Wow. What? I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Uh, I prefer Frodo's earlier, funnier ones. We make a good team, right? Actually, it was, okay. Shaywick. It was Shaywick. I'm not scooping there. Oh, Dingus. Those are two very different people. Wait, are you are you making a riff on you screwing up Jason Clark being in which movie again, or do you mean it? Shea Wiggum or Scoop McNary? Tell me for true. Which one is it, Dingus? It's Shea Wiggum. 